tip today in association with Slatteries of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slatteriesgarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. Emma is looking after this morning's programme. Now, coming up on the show, uh, the show even, more reaction to the fatal assault at Cork's Mercy University Hospital. Some concerns about a planning application in Templemore. Is Carrick and Shore the forgotten town in Tipperary? That report on CAMS and what uh, needs to be done for child mental health. We have legal matters with solicitor John Lynch. And Father Michael Toomey is live in studio reflecting on priesthood, vocations and religious life. So all of that on the way. You can text him WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tip today at tipfm.com. And some headlines for you. The Irish Indo, 360,000 homes undervalued to revenue for local property tax. Seemingly thousands of homeowners have submitted property tax valuations for the homes that are lower than the estimated value from revenue. To the Irish Examiner, and indeed, right across the newspapers today, um, more uh, talk of the CAMS review and uh, the examiner telling us that the HSE has been forced to begin an extensive review of children's mental health files in North Kerry uh, after a random audit found out that almost a third of cases examined had potential concerns, including around the use of medication. We'll be talking about CAMS later on in the programme. Also on the examiner today, a couple of more things. Um Government officials believe that 60% of Ukrainians who come to Ireland will remain here even after the war ends. And in a briefing document given to Simon Harris when he took over temporary responsibility for the justice portfolio in recent weeks, government officials outlined the reality of how many Ukrainians will remain in Ireland and the number of people seeking international protection. Also, the liberalisation of pub licensing laws will uh, decimate the number of rural pubs in Ireland. TDs and senators will be warned today. The Irish Daily Mail, Mandarin's uh, withering review of housing strategy, a key part of the government's housing strategy that aimed to deliver 5,000 apartments, is too small and struggling to attract developers, officials have said. to The Irish Times and uh, the Times uh, dominated by a photograph from that Kilmacud um, game on Sunday that uh, has been so controversial. Uh, the saga rolls, rolls on after Sunday's club football final. The prospect of an official challenge from the Derry champions remains a distinct uh, possibility. And last night, Glenn uh, released a statement expressing disappointment that the GAA had refused their request for clarification unless the club was willing to lodge uh, an objection. But the um, photograph at the front of the Times today, it's absolutely clear that uh, 16 uh, Kilmacud players on uh, towards the end of that game. So again, if you want to share your thoughts on any of those 
headlines. We'd love to hear from you. 1800 938 007. Now, we got a huge reaction to the story of the 89-year-old patient who died after he was uh, attacked by another patient in a Cork hospital on Sunday morning. A 32-year-old man is due before a court in Cork this morning following the incident. Now, you might remember that Ali spoke to Breda some time ago and she shared her horrendous uh, experience uh, with us at UHL where a patient uh, in uh, A&E threatened to set her on fire with a lighter. Breda joins me now. Breda, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? I'm very um, well, well indeed, and thank you so much for coming on to uh, with us this morning. I guess the story of what happened to the elderly man in Cork did that bring your own experience back to you, Breda? I spent Sunday morning crying over Matthew Healy. Uh, it's horrendous what happened to him. But I, I had said it on the program, and I said it was going to happen. It's going to happen somewhere. So this wasn't hospital. this wasn't a surprise to you, Breda, is what you're hap- you're saying to me? No, and I know it wasn't in A and E; it was in the ward. But the security issue is just ridiculous the way it's done. Um, there should be security in each zone, one security person in each zone, and then in the wards there should be on each floor because security is down below on the bottom floor. So by the time uh, the hospital staff ring and the person is up. Usually, uh, whoever it is that that's causing trouble or that is, it's after escalating. You know, um, definitely on each floor there should be security should be positioned. You know that you can get help. Yeah. Now, I mean, where I was was in A and E, down a little corridor, in the corner. With a broken leg, uh, a severe concussion, on oxygen, and as I said, I have numerous medical conditions. And, and, and just to remind us, Breedy, you intervened in a situation where somebody was being harassed. Is that it? Uh, when this time, uh, or no, the last time, the, no. The, the last time. Just tell me about what happened uh, that ended up with you being threatened yourself. Oh, I... I came out of resource and I was put into, I think it was Stone A, and I was on a, a trolley in a corner and right next to me, if you put out your hand, there was another trolley. Mm. And this patient came in about three o'clock in the morning. Um, he was in his 30s. Uh, was grand for a while and sat down in his trolley. Then he started shouting and roaring and different things and um uh he he um they just sort of came down and told them sort of to stay quiet and different things. So I turned over and I was going to sleep and then he came over and he started nudging me to wake up and he said I wasn't effing listening to him. And I said, Oh no, I I, I, I was just going to sleep. So then he sort of ripped out the drip out of his hand and started punching the wall against me. And all his blood was dripping down on top of me. Now, uh, then, after that, then he sat back down in his trolley. There was no staff, like, as I said, they were so busy. That zone that I was in, just people having heart attacks and really seriously sick people. And there was an elderly lady in her 80s in front of me in the trolley and that. Then he stood up. And for over an hour, he 
tormented me. He called me names. He taught me different things. But as I said the last time, I'm not a wallflower where somebody curses at me and that. And I sort of said, look, I'll just leave him to it. Like, I'm okay. I'm in the hospital. You know, nothing's going to happen to me. Then he stood up, got his lighter and started flicking his lighter, came over to my face. I'm on oxygen. Now, it's the big barrel. It's not my my two-hour barrel that I have when I'm at home cylinder. So I said, if I pull off the thing... Like, I could go on fire. My God. Yeah. So then I I started talking nice to him and I, just to try and keep him calm and different things. And he was so agitated. But it was like a darkness came over. It was like he's, he was a different person. And uh, were, were you not in a position to call anybody at that point? No, really? that's no. what I'm saying. There was no bell. I said if I shout because he was like... But two foot away, his trolley was on top of my trolley. He'll he'll hit me in the face because he he was he was strong. Like he he'll hit me in the face or he'll do something to me. And he had the lighter, and I was told, look, stay away. And then he told me I, that he'll set me on fire. He said, I'll burn you, you effing b i t c h. And I I was like, oh my god! So I was started trying to talk to him. And I was shaking, and my whole mind, I, I was looking to see, could I see somebody to shout, help, I need help. Uh, there, there was nobody. This was like a half four in the morning. So then uh, the next thing, then he got up and he lit his cigarette. And he kept sort of with the cigarette coming over, blowing in my face the cigarette and telling me what he was going to do to me. And, like, I am, I am actually seeing a counsellor now. I cannot go into hospital. I, as I said, I, I need to go twice. The first time was my the day my son was getting married. I was very ill. And the doctor actually told me that I could die at home that day. And she said, do you want to die on your son's wedding day? And I... And I know it seems selfish and everything, but I couldn't. I couldn't go into hospital. I couldn't physically go in there. Because you were afraid. I am absolutely terrified. Then, like, last week I got severe food poisoning. And again, my, my bloods were wrong and everything. And they told me I need to go in. I need to go on a trip and that. But I'm lucky I have a great GP that has come out and has looked after me, mm. you know? Yeah. But um, I, I still cannot go in there. And you, you, you're, of the, oh. you're of the opinion at this point, Breda, that little has changed since that experience. Yeah, because I was uh, somebody else that I know that has been in there and they were on a wheelchair going for an x-ray and they got punched into the stomach of someone and they were told, oh, uh, he, he's not well. And like this, and that's all that was said to this person. A really like, you know, nothing was done about it, and nothing like it's the management. It's not like the nurses and and doctors that are there. They are they've enough to do, you know. Yeah. It, it's the management with the security. The security, like when they're during COVID, all I saw was say with the security in A and E, if you had your husband or whoever with you, 
obviously you're not bringing in a whole family with you into A&E. Now, because of my neurological condition as well, I forget things and uh, uh, different things. And, like, I would need somebody with me, but I'd say really, unless you were sort of dying or that, uh, there wasn't uh, someone allowed in with Mm. you. So what are you, you know, saying to me? Are you saying the security was very active at that point to stop people from coming in? to each of us. They were right. sitting on the seats asking us, uh, well, what's wrong with you? Right, but you don't... What's your medical condition? But now, you didn't see lady, the security when you when you really needed it, when you were in danger. Is that I what... didn't. I mean, in the end, I managed to get up off the trolley, even with the, the boots and the, the, the broken leg. I, I ripped it off. Thank God that man that was agitated and really, like, he obviously didn't know what he was doing, that that, that patient. And what, and what did you think? Did you think, that, did you think that he had drink taken or had he drugs taken? No, 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 no. I, I'd say there was... Uh, I don't know. I'm right. not a doctor. Okay. Okay. Maybe he had... had uh, one, one, one thing that I can't understand, you told me that somebody came... Now, this is with your initial experience. You told me that somebody came down and told him to stay quiet. So staff were aware that this guy was volatile, um, but yeah. no, nobody checked in with you after that. No, and then I, I was brought... Um, when I managed to run up and scream my head off, I was totally hysterical, saying, he want, uh, help me, please, he's going to set me, he wants to set me on fire and that. And they put me across from the nurse's station, sitting on the seat with no oxygen, different things, even to check up on me. And a doctor came up and handed the cigarette and lighter and said, look, he won't torment you anymore. And I was trying to explain, but I, I was too... I was absolutely traumatised. Like, this wasn't where somebody lit a cigarette and they were going to... But he was threatening to harm me. And I I was in a situation where I couldn't get out. Then, when I was there and my consultant, I looked... My consultant came down and she was out giving out things about what had happened and different things. And the next thing, we heard all this roaring and screaming going on. He had been put back, left on his trolley. That... Elderly lady from Ennis, he grabbed her by the two legs and tried to drag her off the trolley. You know, and I felt so guilty that I didn't advocate enough and fight or or say, look, this is unbelievable or whatever, do something with him. They left him on that trolley and he went and injured that elderly lady. And, uh, you know, I felt so guilty over leaving her there, you know. But, um, but there's no doubt that, I mean, that's terrible what you're describing, what happened to that elderly lady. But you you continue to be traumatised by this, Breda. I am. I um, the, the, the patient at the speed person came down and she was nearly crying. She was saying, oh, I'm so sorry this happened. And, and the elderly lady's son, he was saying, I want a bed for my mother. Like, if, you know, he attacked my mother as well. But because I was sort of more focal and I had rang my husband and my husband had called the, the, the guards over us. Now, they did bring him off into a room and he, he bet up one of the security guards and um, yeah, we, 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 and then yeah, the guards yeah. came. You know, like, yeah. but it, it was just horrific. You think in, in an A&E full of people, you're safe. You're not. 
You're not. Uh, and you're not do you think there. there's a big possibility we will hear more of yes, these definitely. situations? And even as an inpatient, when I was in a room because of my, I'm immunocompromised, and I was in a, a room by myself. Mm. Now it was an elderly gentleman that was had he was mixed up, and at like two o'clock in the morning, my door opened, and he was trying to get into bed with me, like. And I pressed the bell and they came and they took him and they put him into his own room. Now, that happened twice. Now, that could be anyone. That could be anyone. So there should be someone keeping an eye that you are actually safe in hospital. You should be safe. Like, it's bad enough that you're sick. But, and, and you feel guilty enough for putting your, your, your family through you being sick. You know, and... and them being upset right, so over bad you. enough to be sick, but to be traumatised as well is, is yeah. unforgivable. Brida, we appreciate your time today, and I hope you're you're well, and I hope you continue to improve. And thank you so much for coming on with us. Thank you, and good morning to you. That's Brida speaking to us this morning with a horrendous uh, tale of her experience in hospital. How do you feel about that? Eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. And how do you feel about that in relation to the story of the eighty nine year old? The poor man, he only lost his wife a few weeks ago and then uh, allegedly attacked by another uh, patient and the the 32-year-old man then in court this morning in Cork following that incident. How do you feel about that? Um, Back in a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Discussion all over the newspapers today, all over the radio stations, and indeed we'll be speaking about cams a little bit later on ourselves. But uh, interesting text here, says Fran. I worked in mental health for over 40 years as an RPN in both Ireland and the UK. I would rather break rocks than go back into calms. These clients, and it says brats in, uh, in uh, brackets, are most challenging and dangerous in the service. They self-harm, they injure both staff and other residents. Impossible to get staff to work there. Most staff are redeployed from other areas. I would be risking my registration to work there. Parents think their children are angels. They decide their treatment and staff are working with their hands tied behind their backs. This is the other side of calms, not media sensations. This is one of our listeners now. I know Emma made a call there and sadly that person uh, feels they can't talk to us today. But it's interesting to hear uh, the the other side, I suppose, from from a staffing point of view, even though I would disagree profoundly with the notion of the clients being brats. But uh, anyway, 83 311 Mary joins me. Good morning to you, Mary. Good morning, friend. Good to talk to you. And we're going back to what happened to that poor man in the hospital in Cork. You're making the point, Mary, that it was only a matter of time. Of course. It was just an accident, an incident waiting to happen because you see, I suppose with this particular case there isn't enough known about 
the person who did this. Mm-hmm. And there's a court case due on it, so we have there to be really, careful about... So uh, we have to be extremely yeah. careful. Mm. But uh, let's just say hypothetically, if a person has a psychiatric problem mm-hmm. and they're admitted to a hospital, in the long... Well, actually, not that long ago, if a, psychi- a psychiatric patient was admitted to a hospital, they had a psychiatric nurse with them. Was that the way it worked, uh, Mary? If they went that, in huh? from another unit, we'll say. From yes, a psychiatric uh, unit, yes. Yes, yes yeah. they did. Yes, they did. So a qualified person would have been there a with A qualified them. person to sit with them, to stay with them. They just did their shifts in the general hospital as opposed to doing it. Right. Uh, and that was to keep that patient safe and other patients safe, I suppose, Obviously. as well. Is that it? Yeah. Obviously. Hmm. So, you know, there's an awful lot of speculation about this case. And it is all speculation because nobody knows what happened. Hmm. But listening to Breda, hmm. that's on UHL. Hmm. I mean, that's just absolutely horrific. Yeah, and, and do you know what strikes me, Mary, is that, you know, I realise that it's very hard to get medical staff and recruitment difficulties and the chaos of the HSE and all of that, but it's very easy to get security staff. It is, but you see, what she, she's, she made a very valid point there. I, myself, would have said you're safer in a... Well, you are here anyway, I know that. Mm. You're safer in A&E than what you are in a ward because... At night, in particular, actually, all the time in A&E, there's two security people. Mm. On the wards, there's nobody. There is nobody. And I know from being in hospital myself that you could go a whole night, okay, they may a nurse come in. There just might a nurse come in during the night and flash the torch around or whatever. Mm. I know because I've been up there and been awake. Now, I cannot fault any treatment I ever got in our local hospital here. Yes. But it's ridiculous. I have been in wards where you have patients with dementia. Mm. And they're just there. Unless they're extremely bad, there's no one-to-one nursing for them. There's nobody with them. Numerous occasions I did ring the bell to say that somebody was either packing their suitcase to go home or trying to open the window. My God. You know? Now, the answer to that is more staff. But yes. in this instance, you see, I, as I said, we don't know enough, friend. Of course, yes. But it, a general ward is not the place for somebody with dementia. But this is my whole point. And that is, sorry, but it's down to the ward managers, the bed managers. I I was a, a patient up here at one point, and there was a young girl about 17 years old in the ward I was in, and there was a very elderly lady, God love her, with dementia. She was totally harmless. But, my God, the noise she would make, even throughout the night, that child was, and she was a child. Mm, mm. She was terrified. Was she? Yeah. Now, she was eventually moved but there has to be a way of, for want of a better word, segregating patients. Have you thought, Mary, about the big picture? Of the, I mean, where did it all go wrong? Um, do you know? If, I, look, I think we had this discussion before, Fran. It all went wrong when our local health authorities were taken 
Yeah. Genuinely did. When, you know, when 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 each area... There's too many, um, for want of a better word, there's too many pen pushers and huge salary drawers in the HSC and not enough essential staff. That's the actual problem. That is the problem in a nutshell. Yeah, because I was really surprised to learn yesterday that some of the management in CAM have no medical knowledge, no, 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 no medical qualifications. No, no and I, I now look, I know we're on a totally different thing here, but mm. that message, text, whatever email you read out, that's horrific. Mm. For any member of the medical profession to speak about children with problems As in that tone is what chance do our children or young people with problems have? God knows how many other people are in the service that think exactly like that person. Mm. If and when you ever do eventually get to Cannes. Yeah, that, that, that person was back on to us again to say, Fran, you don't agree with my brat's statement. Uh, these uh, clients will demand several things from staff and if they don't get them, they will threaten to self-harm. They are in charge, it says. Uh, look, I'm sure, you know, you will. It's like every walk of life. You will come across people who will use any system, any system at all. But to generalise like that, I'm sorry, Fran. That's not... And I would consider I I obviously don't have a clue where, who, what that person Mm. is. But in my opinion, they shouldn't be working in mental health. Yeah, yeah, from an empathy point of view. um, Exactly. Because it's a job. We all know it's a job. But there are some jobs, I think, you know, if you're going into them for money, well, you're wasting your time because there's no money in it anyway. But you really do need to have a genuine empathy with people before you'll see it anywhere. Mm. You'll see it in the guards. Mm. You, you know, you'll see it in any walk of life. But in our health system, and, you know, back again to the hospitals, security has to be first and foremost. Has to be. And it's not. Breathe made a very valid point there where you would have two security staff on the bottom floor yes. of a hospital that probably has at least three floors. So the speed at which they could get to an incident would be is, questionable. If it's on it, the wards, yeah. it's totally questionable. The, 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 the other thing is that, as I said, UHL has a bit of a bad rep at the minute anyway. But I do know for a fact, and I know because I had a family member work in security up here, um, incidents like that, there's no second chance. Guards are called straight away. Yeah. Um, you know? Any, any light at the end of the tunnel from stuff that you've heard from either the minister or the department? No. No. no because it's all world. There's it's nothing to lead you to believe world. that this is going to no. be tackled in any way? Or... No. No, not in any meaningful way. They'll give it lip service. They'll probably throw more money at it. Yeah. But they'll throw it in the wrong direction. Now, whether that's the hospital management's fault or, you know, again, going back years ago, even here in our own hospital, there was probably about maybe eight, nine private rooms. I think there's two, three up there now. Anyway, um, in general, 
if anybody with will say a questionable psychiatric history as in violent. Yes. They were in a private room with their psychiatric nurse. They were not on a general ward. Right, but are you saying to me there's not space to do that now? There's no there's space not accommodation to do that. To do that yeah. There's no space because I, and again, I know from years, I mean, I'm over 50 years living here in Clanmel. Some of the wards that were private wards in the hospital above, they're now offices or storerooms. My God. With all the building and with all the money that was thrown. Right, and with the, with the huge need for accommodation in, in the exactly, hospitals. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know. Uh, also, I suppose while I'm here, um, sincere condolences to Mr. Leahy's family. That's true, it's a great tragedy. And the fact he lost his wife just a, a few weeks a, ago. A few weeks well, ago. And God, also, yeah. I would have to say, at the risk of being slaughtered, I am thinking of the other man's family as well. The man who did this. Yes, so you think it's 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 worth our, our thinking about that, having uh, some sympathy for them, I suppose, as well. Yeah. Well, sure, they didn't... Whoever put him into hospital didn't put him in there to, to do what happened. Hmm. Do you know? They probably thought he was safe in there as well. Well, that's very Christian of you to think of uh, the other family, Mary. And uh, thank you so much for coming on with us today. No thank problem, you. And, and good morning thank to you, Mary. You. Bye bye to you now. 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is 083 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. David says, I was on a ward two years ago in UHL and one elderly man spent the night shouting and moaning and calling for his mother while another elderly man spent the night walking around the ward beds. And that's uh, David, as I say. Um, Fran, they brought in vision for change. In the noughties, closed all the psychiatric units, uh, such as St. Michael's and uh, others. Uh, no step-down beds for the elderly and two security guards. It was all only a matter of time. Uh, psychiatric parents are supposed to have a special nurse at all times. I would rather die in my own bed than go to any of these places, says Helen uh, on 83 uh, my goodness, has the system changed so much? My late husband was in a UHL and the care was second to none. Uh, his nurse even attended his funeral. Wasn't that, wasn't that a very nice thing uh, to do indeed? Uh, somebody else saying, I was in a hospital 12 years ago in a two-bed ward. A row broke out uh, with two people outside of the open door at the time. I was uh, the only one in the ward and unable to move. I couldn't even ring a bell. I was terrified. Two people lashing out at uh, each other. I will never, ever forget it. And somebody else saying, I was in hospital and a young fella threatened me with a steel clothes hanger for snoring. Oh, wait, three, three, double one, double three, double one. And our listener was in contact with the show in relation to concerns about a planning application in Templebourne. Seamus is online now. Good morning to you, Seamus. Good morning. 
Morning, Fran. Jamie Hassey here in Temple Moor. How are you getting on? I'm very well indeed, and uh, good to see you. Good to speak to you, Seamus. Will you tell me, first of all, just about your own situation? You have the old post office in Temple Moor, isn't that right? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Um, it was our family home there for, God, going on 78 years now at this stage, you know. And um, there was always kind of like a, a field at the back of shorts up along the park lane. I'm not sure if you know Temple Moor very I well. Do, but um, like, and what they're, what they're planning to do is going to affect the whole neighbourhood of the Main Street. Um, now, I've absolutely no um, problems with what they're doing. It's just the sheer mass and the scale of it, you know. Right. Now, it's, um, a, it's a voluntary housing project, is my understanding, and it will house up to 50 people. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. And I'm all about it, Fran. I think it's a fantastic idea. I really yeah. do, that, you know. Um, but you see, like, there's, a, there's other sides to the elements of the kind as well. Like, you know, like, um, at the end of the day, this is the entrance to the park. This is the, this is the entrance that everybody uses for the town, you know. Yes, this is the little so, narrow entrance there, is it? It's a little narrow entrance. Now, they are going to open it up, so it'll be a street for all doors, you know. Okay, yeah. And um, you're going to have your apartments and houses as you're going up and down to, your, to, to, to the park down there. But the, the, the main reason I'm on today, Fran, is to talk about a, a meeting that we're having there in the Temple Moor Arms mm-hmm. at 7pm on Wednesday evening. Yes. And I just want to kind of invite everybody to kind of come in and have their, I just have a talk about it, have their views on it, you know, just to see, to see, because it was kind of, it was kind of pushed on people very fast, I think, well, I feel that anyway, that um, the planning went in on the 22nd of December, and to be fair about it, I only sussed it out last week, you know, so I'm just trying to make people aware, before, before we change how the town looks and feels, you know, for right. And is, is planning still pending on this, Jamie? Yeah, pl- yeah, planning is still pending, the, 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 the last um, submissions, I think is what they're called, have to be in by the 3rd of, of February. So that's only like a week away or so. Do you know what I mean? Right. And it's so for I, 20... When they say 24 units, what what are they talking about? Is It it is apartments, is it? It is apartments. Like, as far as I can make out, right? I was, I was going through the plans myself, and there is 65 bedrooms in total, to be honest. Now, that's going to house a lot of people. And yeah. I, I think it's a fantastic idea. I really do, because... At the end of the day, that field has been sitting there a long time, and something does need to be done with right. it. Right. So, it, it, what, what is yeah. the problem then, as far as you're concerned? Was yeah, there yeah, not yeah, enough yeah. consultation? Absolutely, a hundred percent. Like you know, now you see there was consultation there before COVID, right, to the to the, to the residents about it, and the original plans that were shown to um, to us were, yeah, fair enough. Shorts was a three-story building because it always was a three-story, you know, and it always should be. And then from the back of that, running up along the park lane were these um, bungalows, for all those, these, these lovely single-story bungalows. Mm. You know? And the whole thing, you know, cosmetically, visually, um, it wasn't overbearing, it wasn't losing people's privacy, it wasn't interfering with people too much, you know. And that, that was fine, it was grand. And um, now the plans have changed and there was no consultation with anybody in the town, you know. Now, um, so, yeah. And, so and when you say the plans have changed, changed in, in what way, Jamie? In mass, in size. Right. You know, um, yeah, absolutely. Like you know, um, so look as I said, look at you know everybody's getting together in the Tesmore Arms at seven o'clock on Wednesday evening, and I just just to have a discussion about it and just see can we, you know, like, is, 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 before we absolutely change how the town is going to look forever, you know, can we just sit down and talk about it? You know, yeah. Like, now lo- local politicians have made the point, you know, that this is great for the the, yeah. the town. It puts people back into the centre of the town, but it's it's just the size of this that's concerning oh, that's you, is it? That's it. That's all it is, friend. It's like you have to remember now, right? That the the the, the, the entrance to the park. This is the entrance to the park. Anybody who comes to more knows that this is the entrance to the park. Mm. You know. So why have something that's so overbearing? You know, as you as you're walking up through the park, like it, like friend, if you bring it down back down to the the, the town centre's first policy, right? Mm. They talk about quality housing, a hundred percent. You have to have quality housing, right? And uh, the other part of it is is that it's at the right location. You know. 
that's the, you know that's a policy. Right. And and yeah. do you do you object to the location itself? No, not at all. I'm all about it. I'm a hundred percent behind it. I really am. You know, like I, I was brought up in Temple Moor. Like you know, right. I know. I, I, you know, I was a young lad. I used to jump those walls running across the park. I know, you know, I know every inch of the area, and I'm yes. all about this. I really am. I've no objection to the, to the the idea behind it at all. But I just think that it should be talked about before we absolutely change it completely. Like you know, right? To be fair to everybody, you know. And and so, of course, you can object, like any member of the public can. Have you already done that? Have you put in an objection? I like I have to be fair. Like I just 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 same again, just on the size and the scale on it, and you know, just to go back and like that. There's no problem with it whatsoever yes. um, and I'm, I'm, I'm all about it I'm all about moving I'm all about change because like, like, if we all stand still and do nothing you know, nothing gets done ever. well of, of course and God knows we need we need plenty of housing um, absolutely 100% like that. That's, just, that's, just help me I, to understand you you originally thought this was a different kind of oh, a project was it based on what Jamie what did you see that led you to believe that this was different the, the, the plans they showed us before COVID. Okay, right. Were, were, uh, I loved them. I loved them. Everybody in the town loved them. That scene, they were amazing. Like, you know what I mean? They had a lovely, lovely uh, scenic way about it. You know, like visually it was very nice and it was going to suit the people. Like, and right. And what changed then in what you're looking at now? We've literally gone from uh, a single story um, uh, unit or house, in that stage, you know what I mean? Um, to this three story block, you know? Right. And, and that I wasn't think, indicated in the original plan. Oh, not at all, not at all, not at all. No, 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 right. no. I don't think they're right. No. Right. So now I have the original plan with me, and I also have the new plan with me. Right. And I don't have them there on Wednesday, just so somebody can have a look at it. Sure, but the new plan is now available for people to look at, and if they choose to do so, to object to. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now there is kind of like um, a small—I don't know what to call it—a little A4. Uh, what do you call it, leaflet, I suppose, that one or two people have around Temple Moor that um, you know, shows what's going on here, do you know what I mean? So, and like, it looks lovely in fairness to it, like, you know, but um, as I said, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's just completely different to what everybody was kind of initially promised, right. you know. And is that your thinking or is that the general thinking of people you're chatting to? The general thinking, to be fair, as well, like because everybody speaks around town. Like you know, most people are stopping me and they're kind of going, "Yeah, yeah, hold on, no second, sure." You know, I remember talking about this there before COVID, and uh, right. there were a lot of and a few things like you know, I mean, no, and, and uh, this, that, and the other. Right, and the multi-story. I mean, what will that block? How will that affect uh, the locale? Yeah, so basically, you have you know, you're going to have what one, two, three, four, five. You've got about seven houses at the back of it, let's say, right? They've all got their own in their garden area, this, that, and the other, you know. Um, so, to be fair about it, you see, because when the sun comes, you see, when you stop to think about it, right, the sun in the wintertime comes around the front face of the town, mm-hmm. and summertime the sun goes around the, the, the back of town, heading down by the park. So, basically, like, about 12 o'clock in the day, Fran, the sun is going to be hidden behind the apex of the roof of this three-story apartment block, you know. Right. So, then again, like, you're, you're, you're You've, you, you have created policy housing, absolutely, through the town centre's first policy, but it's not in the right location. Do you know what I mean? If you get me, because right. And, and it, you, it, you, you'll forgive me pointing out, is this a case of not in my backyard because you want to renovate the old the old post office and you want it to be... <laughs> absolutely not, man. Absolutely not. Look, right. no, at the end of the day, it is a town centre, right? Things are going to change constantly, you know, and everybody agrees on that, and I, I'm all about that, like, you know. But... You see, you should stop and think about from, from another direction as well, like, you know, that um, 
you know, I've 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 young uh, daughter there, eleven years of age, and her she hangs out with her with her um, cousin. She's about thirteen, and about, on Saturdays they kind of potter around town together. And I've absolutely no issue with that whatsoever. Like, you know what I mean? You know, they know to go up to Park Lane, they know to go around the lake, mm-hmm. they know to go up the shops. That like, that that is the entrance to Park Lane. That is the, the communal entrance. You know, it's the gateway for all the yes. Yeah. And like, like, are we going to get to the fact that we just we we, we put this thing here, um, and all of a sudden it creates a kind of, you know, now the girls are a bit iffy about walking up it because it's so overbearing. If you get me, you know, like. Yeah. I'm just trying to get the point across, like, you know. Yeah. It, it, it does, and again, you'll forgive me for that. It does sound that you have more profound objections to it than, than what you're saying to me. I mean, you, you because even on a social level now, you're saying that there may yeah. be issues. As in, sorry, sorry, no, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be great words on myself. No, 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 no. But what I mean, if you're concerned about, say, your daughter and her friend, and they they walking that area and stuff, have you social concerns about maybe who might be going in there as well? Um, no, no, not at all, not at all. Because like we've been, we're, we're, you know, we've been told it's for um, the elderly and you know, unfortunately, people with disabilities. Like, and I mean, you know, right, so right. So you don't, you don't have a problem with no, that. No, no, okay. absolutely not, friend. Not in the face. All right. So it's it's Wednesday in the Templemore Arms. What what time is it there, Shani? Uh Seven o'clock, friend. Right. And will you address the people? Is that how it will work? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, you know, there's myself and a few more people around town, and we're just all it is, friend. It's just, it's just a chat to make sure that. Um, you know, people are aware, first of all, of the change that's going to happen okay. in Jefferson Morton now, and, you know, people are, you know, people are, 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 are aware of it and they're ready to talk about it. Okay. Know, Jamie, yeah. good to talk to you today, and we'd be interested uh, to hear the outcome of that meeting. Thanks for talking to me this morning, Jamie. Thank you. Right, thanks, man. Thank you. Bye-bye, Bye-bye to you now. Bye-bye. That's uh, Jamie there in Templemore. How do you feel about that? 1800-938-007. Liam joins me now. Liam, uh, good morning to you, Liam. Morning, Fran. And good to talk to you today. You're making some interesting points about uh, the whole business of the wind turbines and all of that. Will you, will you tell the listeners your thoughts on that, Liam? My concern, Fran, is... Um, well, it actually started off where the Minister, Eamon Ryan, announced that he's going to spend £108 million on putting up a 1,000 extra charge points for cars. And, mm. like, you, you can see why, because a lot of people are complaining that there's not enough charge points for the electric cars after buying them. But my, my concern is, is the aid producing all this electricity and we're always told it's going to be wind tur- uh, turbines is going to produce it. Mm. And there's, there's rumours now going around that to do all this, they will need uh, some say a half a million more. There's 70,000 uh, um, wind turbines at the moment active in Ireland. There's more actually being built at the, as we mm. talk, but there's actually 70,000 uh, um, working as such. So if they're talking about figures like uh, half a million of these wind turbines or a million of these turbines to be fully sustainable, where are they going to push them? I mean, we we one part of Ireland that's supposed to be beautiful and green and um, lovely mountains, mm. things like that, and then you look across and these lovely mountains, as we call them, are now full of wind turbines. Yes, and and but I know they're necessary, but I hate them, Liam, because one of my favourite drives is from Dalla down to uh, Holyford there. It's just always yeah, very good. And very. there's so many of them there now, yeah. Uh, oh, it's, 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 gone, it's gone the other way. It's gone mm. ridiculous now. And I mean, there's, there's, there's actually personal concerns about the effects of these and things like that, but... The, well, that is a problem between headaches and noise and all like that. My concern is where they're going to put this half a million extra wind turbines. Is it going to be on farmland? Because my perspective is coming from from a farmer point of view. If we can't put them on mountains, because but aren't they aren't they developing the out to sea ones, Liam? Isn't that the future of this? Isn't it? Well, I, 
I tell you that the out to sea ones is quite interesting. Uh, some of the first, and well, the real first one was put up in Mayo. But one time in Wicca, when I worked in Wicca, there they were putting up an outside Arco. They were there, Fran, for five years, and they never and much as lit a candle. There was controversy between the ESP companies putting the cable out to them and the people that put them up directly idle for five years, You're which serious? is which wow. is which is which is actually worrying because the lifespan of these uh, turbines out in the sea is something like twenty years, twenty to twenty five years, depending on the maintenance and how well they're put up and all like that. And if you're putting up structures costing millions and suddenly in 20 years' time they have to be taken back down, where's the CO2 in all these? Like, where's the CO2 that the Green Party are not talking to us about the production of CO2 mm. before they actually get a wind turbine up? Because, of course, you need steel and concrete and fibre glass and copper and all sorts of exotic stuff as well to build the, these Absolutely, these absolutely. And, yeah. and, and concrete. And concrete, they have to have a base somewhere mm. in the sea or in farmland. But my real, real concern, Fran, is what all of this is doing to farmland. You, you heard there recently, was it Gresham House? Uh, there, some crowd in that's, England. That's right. This is what Quilta, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're going to buy or, or, or have 125,000 acres yeah. between now and 2030 uh, under trees. Mm. Uh, they've never said what kind of trees are going to be native Irish trees or are they going to be spruce and large. I think it, it has in. to be a mix to be commercially viable, as far as I know. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But, but can, I'm more concerned that if there's 125,000 acres of corn or wheat or barley or maize, it would be more important to the people of Ireland and Ukraine and the world over that we're not dependent on corn coming in from Russia. I prefer 125,000 acres of farmland put into corn rather than... Now, fair enough, 125,000 acres is not going to be all farmland, but 50,000 of it is. So we're taking 50,000 acres of land out of farming. OK, and there has been promotion all along. Mm, mm. The government recently announced $2 billion of a grant uh, to encourage this further. Uh, now, there is controversy over that too, and we're slightly strained. And I'll give you a quick quick brief on the, why, we're, why I'm talking about this. Mm. Farmers 25 years ago, when it, with this positively put up the, the, the farm with trees, the whole lot. They were never told about looking for licences to go along and take out the trees. They were never looking at... That's, that's right. Uh, that's chaotic at the moment, isn't it? Oh, totally chaotic. And, and what's worse is, if I can use the pun, the backside has fallen out of tree uh, prices. Yeah. You, you, you're putting into... But no one has to strain. The wind turbines is my concern. Yeah. The concern is where they're going to push them. Are they going to push them in Kildare Street? Or where are they going to push them? If they put them on farmland, I have a concern. And if they put them on farmland, one of the members of the Green Party that's pushing all this is a lady called Pippa Hackett, as you well know. Mm-hmm. She's over 200 acres in County Offaly. How many wind turbines are going on her farm? And equally, how many of these trees from Gresham House are going on her farm? Well, this lady, this lady came to a meeting uh, in Kilkenny one time. Well, we don't want to personalise it too much now, Liam. As no, you no, 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 yeah. no. That, yeah. And that's, that's a valid point. Yeah. But I have concerns. I, mm. I really do have concerns. Mm. SSD electricity, wherever it's over all this, need to have more consultation. There's very little consultation. There's eight more going up now locally where there's 15. Yeah. And these are going to be 308 feet high. But, but do, you know, and, and, do you know an interesting thing? And when I knew you were coming on, I just had a, had a look at this and I find it very interesting. And you're right to make the mm-hmm. part of, uh, the point about the carbon footprint of the initial mm-hmm. construction and all of mm-hmm. that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But yes, yes. it's very interesting to, say, to, to read that the wind power has a carbon footprint that is 99% less than coal-fired power plants, um, 98% less than natural gas, and a surprise here, Liam, uh, 75% less than solar, can you believe? So while it's front-loaded with its carbon footprint, in the long term, 
this appears to be the way to go if we forget about aesthetics and how it looks on our land and on, on our, 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 our landscape and that sort of thing. Well, it's the very, very point of what they're saying in relation to saving the earth. And we're told at the moment, you know, if you look at your ESB bill, is it 33 or 33? Uh, 6% mm. of our electricity is coming from wind farms. Yeah. And, and like that has to be applauded. It's fair, fair. That's great. Now, the only thing is, if it is coming from wind farms, our electricity bill has gone up. So using the, the war in Ukraine because of uh, energy prices kind of defeats that if 36% alone is, is coming. My, my electricity bill hasn't gone down anymore. In fact, it has quadrupled. Yeah. Yeah. But, but there is another point to this. If it goes in the local community, Right, if it's on, and I apologise for, for bringing personality like Pippa Happen, but mm. it is a concern. I, I do have concerns. Like, yeah. uh, if it goes into the local community, the local people are not getting any less electricity, but their houses in the area are devalued. Some say up to 100,000. It's not for me to say, to be an auctioneer to say, if you're selling your house and there's 15 wind turbines at the back of your house, am I going to buy it? No. Uh, Liam, I'd love to talk to you more about this because I find it very interesting. I hope we can do so at, at another time. But re- I'm moving towards news. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Liam. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. And read, read food for, for thought there. I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, news is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. Anne-Marie was on to us and she said, uh, members of the public know exactly what's causing the overcrowding, Fran. It's long-staying patients taking up beds because they can't go back home or there's no step-down facility. It's time for the government to sort this out, says Anne-Marie. Um, I think it's part of the problem, Anne-Marie, but I think it's, uh, you know, there's so many aspects to what is causing the chaos and disaster in our health service. Um, Good morning, Fran. Just listening about the hospitals and people on trolleys. uh, That is going on for years. 15 years ago, I spent three nights on a trolley. 31 years ago, my dad was put into a small storeroom. He was only moved out into a ward the night before he died. So overcrowding is going on for donkey's years, says Joe to us today. Uh, Another listener, and this is on the back of my uh, chat with uh, Shami from Templemore. Uh, Lister says, I would like to ask the Voluntary Housing Association Committee that met with some residents of Templemore um, a number of years ago and presented plans for eight bungalows to be built on the site. Uh, They changed their mind and they submitted plans for three-storey apartments, two storeys and bungalows. Um, and this is not the plan that was presented to us. I expect this committee to attend the meeting on Wednesday night and explain themselves. We are the ones affected, not any of them, because they don't live on the main street in Templemore. 
And where that is concerned, somebody else onto us to say, I would ask the people of Templemore to please attend the meeting in the Templemore Arms on Wednesday night at 7pm. This meeting is being organised for everybody to have their say. We are the people of the town. We deserve to know what's going on in our community. It may have an impact on all of us for the future. Hopefully our local politicians will attend and listen and take on board our concerns. They are there to represent us. They know where we are when um, they want our votes. Hopefully they will attend and afford us the time to listen to our concerns. So that's Wednesday night. A lovely Templemore Arms, I'm sure. Dan and all the crew will look after you extremely well there at 7 o'clock. Now, following the announcement on Friday that Maloco is to close its doors in Carrick, ensure 31 employees at the site um, on the Kilsheelan side of the town are impacted, of course, by the closure. Now, yesterday, Ali went to Carrick to get some reaction from the public and the consensus is that Carrick is a forgotten town in Tipperary. Well, Eddie Reid is a local activist and Eddie joins me now. Good morning to you, Eddie. Morning, Frank. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you again. I, you. I, I'm always kind of careful about labelling a town in some way just because of the negative impact on that, Eddie. But for the moment, let's stick with that. Is it yeah. forgotten, Eddie? Oh, God, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's kind of gone on a downhill spiral. I know it's a long time ago, but 85, 86, when the tannery went, um, that was kind of the start of it. Then Choyser, Shram, a lot of industries gone down by local. You know, I mean, you walk across the main street, there's 20-odd shop fronts empty. In, that's the main street in, in, in a fairly big-sized town in the country. But, 400 odd metres and you're talking about 20 empty shop fronts you know it's, it's probably unheard of now it's like a bigger version of where in Tomel where the cinema is mm, yes um, Mar- marketplace there yeah. marketplace yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's our main street is like marketplace um, if you go back the old videos that, that people post on social media the early 80s and that is you couldn't walk up the main street on a Saturday afternoon. There's videos there of, of I think it was actually an on RTE camera was doing a, a piece, and just a normal Saturday afternoon, you couldn't walk across the main street. It, it was thronged with people it shopping. Was absolutely, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now you just it's like the ghost town. I mean, we've done petitions and that up the main street for different various things for the the hospital, for the water charge, and that we go from twelve to maybe half one. After that, you're at nothing because the town is just deserted. Now, Eddie, I don't want to play it down, but I'm just wondering how different it is to other towns because, you know, town centres everywhere are experiencing something similar. I know we were talking about Tipperary Town, for example, yeah. uh, recently as well. But are you saying to me it's it's worse in Carrick? It's it's kind of the overall the overall picture for in Carrick. Um, Couple of small snapshots like last week, as you know, the the, the, the Safe St. Bridges campaign was in the door. Yes. We emailed all our local TDs and what have you. Um, probably sounds like I'm picking on the man, but Michael Lowry didn't even respond to our email. A couple of days later, he was front and centre at the Limerick protests, you know. Um, our unemployment rate is probably five times the average. Um, and that's, that that figure doesn't take into account the, the couple of hundred people that are in the town doing the different things. Is you know the courses that they're on and mm. the, the mm. schemes that they're on. Um, so the real figure would be 
much higher, are, you're saying. Much, much higher, saying. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the statistics for unemployment in the country are a joke as it is. I mean, you, you take all these people off choose and, and all these courses. And, but um, just to go back to the overall picture, like a real snapshot I, I was looking at last night, just having a look at things before I came on. In mm. 2015, we had a, we lost our bus services. On the N24, we protested, we emailed all our TDs. We went to Waterford, down to the bus station down there. We were at the Dáil. Um, that was in February. Labour were in government at the time. A couple of months later, the, fall of the general election was called for 2016. Alan Kelly sent out posters with two new... Uh, Bus stops that he was out there helping to get for the town, despite never responding to us about um, the buses being cancelled. You know, they just—it's been going on for decades now where the government don't care about us, don't seem to want anything to do with the town. And Eddie, is it simply about representation? Do you think? I mean, is it because you don't have proximity to a like TD? We, we don't have proximity, and we're kind of stuck in the middle of Kilkenny and Waterford and South mm. Tip. Like we've had good. Like, we were very misfortunate in the town in the last elections to lose a Seamus Ely. Yeah. You know, really unfortunate. Now, we've done fairly well. It's it's not party politics. It's just the way it is. Martin Brown has come down to us a lot and helped us with a lot. You know, but he's the only one. He kind of stepped into Seamus' shoes. And like, it, it's it's not all negative in the town. The good things in the town, the likes of them, the likes of like, we have a husband and wife over the Meals on Wheels, Debbie and Benny. Mm. Without them, the Meals on Wheels wouldn't go. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's so there's, phenomenal. Th- there's great people, you're saying, great people uh, will, the willing to put their shoulder to the Absolutely. wheel. Absolutely. St. Vincent de Paul, you know, Marie yeah. Madden and the Lions Club. Fantastic. All these people Fantastic. are, are yeah. they step up to, but they're stepping up and they're doing a job that our government are not doing. That our public representatives are not doing. The ones we elect to do are not doing. And do you know, I mean, I was talking to Kieran Burke the other day and yeah. in, in, in the course of the conversation I put it to him that I think, just as an outsider looking in, Eddie, I, I thought that uh, the proximity to, as you say, being on the border there and Waterford and all of that, that that was a difficulty for the town. But he saw it as a plus, the proximity to the, the city of Waterford. I mean, would you go along with that? It's a plus in terms of employment. But that's it. Um, it doesn't benefit... The town, you're saying to me, is that it? No, not at all. No, in terms of being used as a as a commuter town for Abbott and Boston and Clamell, yes, and Boston, the Boston Lums and, and the places in Waterford, it's it's a bonus for now. It's, it's and and that doesn't have a spin off to the local economy, is it? Is that what you're saying to me? It has to a degree, but I suppose. It, a normal commuter town is, is a commuter town. Without sounding disrespectful to the people that have come to the town and use it, I mean, mm. they've been there, like, obviously, their kids play sports and that kind of thing in the town, but they're not coming into the town. It's like, there's, there's nothing in the town to spend money on. You know, you're going to your Duns and your right. so big it's, supermarkets. It's simply a place country. to live. Is that is that what you're saying? That's basically it, yeah, for some of these people, yeah. Now, look, it's not disrespecting the people, as I said. I mean, my yeah. I, my daughter been in soccer on Kike United. There's a couple of coaches over there that I wouldn't know from Adam, and I'd know most of the people in the town. Mm. 
you know, they're, they're putting their shoulders a wheel along with the rest of us. But the fact that we are a commuter town, the bigger supermarkets are not coming in, the bigger shops are not coming in. They're staying in the city and the, the bigger town up the road. And that's where people are going to spend their money. I can understand what Kieran is saying about the location, but I mean, you take go back to the hospital again. The location is a, is a, a benefit because we've Donny Perro coming into us to help us from the Comrus. Yes. And that's an advantage. Disadvantage is Johnny can't get anyone in Fine Gale to come over across the water from the water constituency to help us because they see it as too far east, you know. Lowry and them see it as too far south. The so so you're, you're stuck in between all, all, all of this. The, We've never really had any, any interaction with anyone from Kilkenny on any issue. The, so, o- the other point that's often made, Eddie, but is it a case of live horse and you'll get grouse because that, that tourism is going to be the the future of the town. We're thinking of the blue way. Yeah, look, we have the manor house. It's unique in the country. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful, unique yeah. and absolutely beautiful. Restorative. A phenomenal standard. Yeah. You know, we've seen them on in our footsteps with the cameras, with the blue way, with everything. But we know Gardy in the town yeah. because they just, again, down to the likes of Willie Lee and them don't seem that, 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 that like, they've forgotten us as well. Mm. So the anti social behaviour in the town, like. This well, now the superintendent would tell you that this is about resources and he has only X amounts that he can yeah, spread around. Yeah, we able to find him when we stood up and made a. Uh, a complaint about it when there was open drug mm. dealing going on the town, he was able to find right. him within two days. Well, again, we don't like to personalise it too much, but you're saying it's a no, huge that, issue in the sorry, town, I don't mean, really, yeah, yeah. Exactly, I don't mean yeah. uh, Mr. E. And, but, like, to get visitors come into the town and then, well, walk across the town and get fireworks where to them or stoned, you know, get, get our cars stoned, which is a daily occurrence in the town. A daily occurrence, Eddie? They're not going to do it, like. Sorry? A daily occurrence, you're saying to me? Well, maybe daily, but three or four times a week, yeah. Right. You know, coming up to Christmas, coming up to Halloween, it's fireworks. Every other time of then, it's stones or mud balls or snowballs or whatever is in season. So, like, the lack of guardie is a massive problem, and it's just another way of being forgotten. And just while I'm on guardie, Fran, I want to say just something personally. From all the groups that I've been in, Pat Kelly retired our last week, and he yeah. was probably one of the best community guardies Fantastic. Absolutely. Absolute yeah. 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 People very sorry to see him go. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, Eddie, what, what, where from here? Like, I mean, you know, St. Bridges is the, is the big one, but there's so much yeah. more that needs to be addressed. Um, where do you even begin or who do you go to? What do you do? Well, I know Davy and, and Martin Brown are on about a task force, and that's, look, that's the politics side of it. That's what they're yeah. good at, and that's what they do. Um, from a personal point of view, the, the, my my big thing is community, as you know, and, and I'd never, as, as much as this is negative, I'd never run down the town. I'd mm. never, you know, I'd, I'd always try to put the town out in a positive light. light um, and that's really all we can do as a community from our side of it. Leave the politicians do what they yes. deem necessary and even, you know, even work away on what they put. All I could... All I'd say to people is that all these organisations that are going on, the Meals on Wheels, the Darkness, Central Light, the St. Patrick's Day, that the communities need to come to the fore on those, you know, and not leave it to the usual three or four people in the town to do it and make the town a better place that way. You know, 
Give it the positive mm. vibes. Give it the positive um, personality. And hopefully the political side of it will work. And yeah, and are, are you saying to me that you, you'd like to embrace the people who choose to live there and commute, uh, commute to work? Embrace them as part of the actual community of the town as well. That, Absolutely. I mean, yeah. we've got, we've got, um, we're blessed in the town with, with Bridgewater House Flow. Mm. The integration that goes on down there, especially with the Davins Club, with the kids. Yes. Playing hurling and football. And that, it's, it's, it's an example to other places, oh, in fact, isn't it? Yeah. It's something that all these local draggers on the far right we brought to our town and yeah. shown this is what real community is and this yeah. is what real integration is and you know that's just one thing these if are out the people coming in commuting the people who are living in there look there's people living in the town with generations and they should be coming to the fore and helping you know it, mm. if we can all get together as a community and do all these things do all, embrace all these groups and leave the politicians do what they're paid to do and you know Put the pressure on him to do it. All right, Eddie. Um, always good to talk to you, and thanks for your time Thank this you, morning, friend. Eddie. Thank you. Thanks look look after yourself. Bye bye to you now. Community activist in uh, a town that I'm very fond of, Carrick and Shore, because it's a great arts town. Great, I mean, two theatres in the town. Great love of the arts. Great love of music in the town. Marvelous musicians from the town. I mean, there's a lot of positives about it as well. That's why, as I say, I'm rather careful about uh, using the. Uh, the phrase uh, forgotten town because there's a lot going for it as well. 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Yeah, Austin was on to us and he says, I totally disagree about the windmills, Fran. I just love them, he says, in higher case. And he says, I think they look wonderful on the hills and bogs. And I think they enhance the scenery. And Austin was kind enough to send me a picture of Temple Tuhi, a bog where they're very visible there. I'm perfectly aware of how necessary they are, Austin. Um, I can't stand them, personally. I really can't stand them. And as I say, some of the beautiful drives around Tipperary, I think they're all too obvious, but there you go. And I was delighted to hear that the option uh, it may eventually be that they will be out to sea in some way. So anyway, uh, 0833113311. We continue with a conversation about Carrick and Sure, and I'm glad to be joined now by Sinn Féin activist uh, Dean McGrath. Good morning to you, Dean. Good morning, friend. Good morning to your listeners. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you today, Dean. Um, that notion of the forgotten town, Dean, is that something you go along with? It, it's an interesting one. In some, like I, I, I'm an outsider, as you know. So I'm from yeah. Ardfinnan, mm. and I've worked in Carrick and with groups in Carrick for for quite a while. Mm. Um, the one thing that I've I've seriously been shown is that uh, an, the people of Carrick have an incredible community spirit that. I feel it's special. I don't think they'd let their town be forgotten. I think in terms of jobs, um, like the people, the people are so incredible in terms of how they get out, how they mobilise, how I, I've seen how passionate they've been. But in terms of jobs, certainly it feels like, you know, I the reason I, I was working in Carrick and Shore back in 20, 
13, 2014, and it was an economic uh, black spot. So it is different to other towns insofar as in some areas of Carrick and Shore at that time and leading up to it, unemployment was at 30 to 35%. So that's one in three. So if we're talking about how, I suppose, in terms of funding, um, like it's not just Carrick, it's also Tipperary Town, Mm. high levels of unemployment. Mm. So the issue I would have is that that's now, as I said, that's nearly 10 years ago I was working in Carrick in a youth project where I was painfully aware of how, I suppose, how, how what poverty was there, what unemployment was there, but also what incredible community spirit was there, what incredible um, people lived there. But we're, we're here now talking about jobs, and it's 10 years later. Yeah. And it's actually, unfortunately, in terms of the manufacturing um, culture, Eddie would have referenced the tannery, um, like, people feel losses. And you talk to people, and they have fond memories about the likes of the tannery, they will have fond mem- memories of Maloco. Um, if you bring in the Argos job losses in Clonmel and Waterford, you know, there, it, it's been a tough time for the south of the county um, feeling that those types of those type of losses. One of the know? things you might be able to help me with, though, that I can't understand, and maybe it's down to public representation, I'm not sure, Dean, but why wasn't it well flagged, uh, what happened in Maloko, for example? You know? Like, like Maloko, like, look, in, uh, the, as, as I said, I listened to Owen um, Drummy, who was on, your, yes. was on your show yesterday, and Unite and the trade unions only found out more or less when the workers did. And um, even with Mandate um, and Argos, there was long discussion. It, it, it really shouldn't be a, a thing that we find out and it's a knee-jerk and, the la- and it's gone. Like, in terms of negotiation, if there was any other um, inter- company or whatever, like, that's why we would have yes. talked about... Well, but in- you, I don't have to tell you, Dean, um, that it's very hard to negotiate after the fact. You know, if of a course. definitive statement has been made, we are closing down, it's very yes. hard to do something about that at that point. Uh, so, you know, why didn't somebody know that and, this and, was... Uh, I think that's at the discretion of the shareholders and the company. Yeah. Um, I, like I like because obviously, as you would have heard, there were lots of rumours around the town mm. about Maloko. Mm. Um, I would have heard uh, rumours, but I, I was kind of saying, look, I, I I would presume like Unite, very strong trade union, would have come out with a statement if there was any, you know, prospect. So they they were caught in the hop as well, unfortunately. But talking of jobs and like Eddie uh, and Eddie does fantastic work in terms of mills and wheels and stuff mm. he was talking about a task force you know and that David and Martin Brown uh, David Dunn obviously and have called for a task force to be established and I think what we're talking about when we're talking about a task force is the fact that the tourism obviously the rural regeneration fund a huge amount of money is going to be coming into Carrick and Shore that's 14 million euro you know and that's to redevelop the town the issue that a lot of people would have, when you're talking in Carrick, saying this money is very welcome, but my son can't get a job here. He's moved away. You know, my daughter is in Dublin. She She's going to stay in Dublin. There isn't anything for her down here. So what you're talking about is how do you make an effort to combat that brain drain that young people from Carrick mm-hmm. feel like they don't have a future right, in let the let town? Me, let, me you know? thro- let me throw that back at you, Dean, then. How do you create that sort of environment? And well, I, again, Fran, I know now you're like Bertie Horn, you're a good socialist. So I'd be saying to myself that as you, uh, in terms of a task force, the reason is you can't leave this type of stuff. If tourism, and look, it appears that tourism is 
100% the way forward. There's massive positivity coming in relation to Carrick and Shore, in relation to funding. Yeah, but where, where are the, the worthwhile jobs out of that? You see? It, where exactly. And, and that's why we need a task force. So in terms of how do you coordinate that? Like, I don't think you can just leave that up to the private sector. I think the SMEs are the lifeblood, but mm. I think a task force does need to be set up to stimulate job creation and there needs to be a collectivity between private business... But have you ever like, seen a task force work? I, I'm a bit allergic to that notion. I know, I know. <laughs> now, I have, I have, and I, I, there, there were task forces set up for various different things in Myros and South Hill in terms of urban regeneration. This is a task force specifically for rural regeneration and it's, it's a type of planned economy. So how can we attract, how can we market the town... And I think the Carrick, as a town... Now, Clamel has its problems as well. Mm. There is more industry. I think tackling dereliction, I was really happy to hear that. Like, Because if you're going down a town, if you see empty and derelict vacant and derelict buildings, obviously that's something that needs to be done on the council level. But it, there has to be a planned economy to the town to stimulate job creation. And the state and the council, all the shareholders there can play a part. Of course, political representation is a part of that. And I've no doubt about it. But what we do not want to see is the centre of our town being hollowed out and people in Carrick and Shore, which is a which is a vibrant, friendly town, feeling like they don't have an alternative, that, that their sons and daughters are going to college and they're not coming back. We want you to go. We want you to travel the world. Go to your college. We want you also to come back to Tipperary and play a part in your local community. And I don't need to talk about how, in terms of neglect, I'm surprised this wasn't done 20 years ago when Carrick first came under radar as an unemployment black, black spot. I'm surprised that it's taken this long. But the fact that it has taken this long, of course that's something that we have to say it shouldn't have happened. But there's always a chance to do the right thing. And I think that collective action, right. collective is, action this, around jobs... This is that time, Dean, isn't it? Now is the of time. Of course it is. Of course it is. That's sure. right. Like No time like the present. Like We're looking at a town where... Like, I've never, I've, like, Save St. Bridges was probably, and is probably the best campaign I was ever involved in and lucky enough to be involved in. I have never felt such passion. And it's not just the town. It's everywhere in the hinterland. It's absolutely incredible. There is a community there that really, really just feels like they're after getting hit one after another. But then you see they do incredible things. You know what I mean? Like the site, the like the Sam Bennett, Bennett, Sean Kelly. Carrick will not let themselves be forgotten about. The same way as Tipperary will not let ourselves be forgotten about. But it's about collective, right. political, local and community action to drive that forward. All right, Dean. Good to talk to you as always. Dean, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank good, you very good, much. Good morning to you. Morris Power runs an accountancy practice in Caricature. He is the honorary treasurer of COSBA. That's the Caricature Business Association, an active committee member of uh, Tourism in Carrick and Economic Development Committee as well. Morris, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. It's good to talk to you again. Uh, uh, it's great to talk to you again, Morris, and we really appreciate your time this morning. Um, what are you making of this notion that the town is forgotten, and what do you make of the recent announcement about Maloco, Morris? OK, well, we start with Maloco. It's not the sort of news you want to hear, no. Fran. Um, it came quite suddenly. Um, as you said, uh, with the previous interview, it is what it is. Um, We've lost 31 jobs. Uh, In a way, it kind of brings us back to square one because when you and I were talking last July, uh, we were able to tell you that we had created um, in the hub 35 jobs. They're still there. So we're we're kind of, we're only four up now. Um, And it just gives us the stimulus to continue um, as we are going. And I think... 
you know, uh, what what uh, Dean McGrath, I was just listening to him there, said about the community of Carrick and Shure is spot on. I think we have, as you know, a strategic plan for Carrick and Shure. It's called 2030. Um, we're actually beginning to update that uh, later this year to bring it in line with 2050, to bring it in line with the 18 million euros of the ORDF Phase 1 um, funding. And again, Putting money into a town to hardware and all of that is good, is all very well, but we have to do something about it. And, you know, in our, in our plan for 2030, one of the things that we are aiming to do is to increase the tourist footfall. At the moment, there are about 10,000, or there were 10,000 visitors a year to the castle. We want over a period of time to bring that up to about 50, um, and we have the Blue Way also contributing to that. So I think it's not all bad news. Um, we have all sorts of assets. We have rivers, we have scenery, we have mountains, we have location. But the biggest asset we have um, is our people. And when the uh, county council was uh, looking to to put out the town plan some years ago, a couple of years ago, they did what they always did, and they did um, they put it out for comment. And Carrick and Shore got a greater percentage of replies, or gave a greater percentage of replies than Kilkenny did for its. County plan. Did it indeed? So it, there's a huge interest in what's happening. To yes, it, not it? only that, and this is what we're about, Fran. Not mm. only that, but a large number of the people that replied were um, students in fourth, fifth, and sixth year in our schools, right. and they're making the same point that Dean was making, and they were, they're making the same point that what we're trying to do is counteract this. We have a brain drain. If you look at the stats for Carrick and Shore, it will tell you that we have less people with third-level qualifications and everything. And that, that is wrong in the sense that our people, our Carrick and Shore people, have the same level of third-level, the same percentage of third-level education as any other town, but they're all gone. So our job is to get it back to get them back. And how do you do that, Morris? Well, one of the things you do, if you look at our 2030 document, we, we, it's, a, it's a slow burn, Fran. This is not a snap your fingers and you have a job. Yeah. Right, you look around you. You're in a room, I'm in a room. We're surrounded by oxygen. Okay, you can't see it. Jobs are not like, are not like oxygen. They have to be created. And it, you do it, as the previous speaker said, you do it... Um, with with collegiality. We work very closely with the County Council. We work very closely with Leo. Um, but the reality is that where the, where the large industries are are in Waterford and in Clonmel, and that's fine, you're not going to change that, but we must play to our strengths, and our, one of our strengths is our community. And we have to generate quite a lot of those jobs ourselves, Fran. We have, we are getting, if you like, the raw material with tourism. Tourism is new to mm. Carrick and Shore. Mm. We've never had it before. I mean, it's new to anywhere. I mean, when you think about tourism in Ireland, you think about the seaside or the, the, the west of Ireland. That is changing now, and we've got to grasp that opportunity. The, the, the one piece of caution I would put in there, far be it for me to give advice to anybody, but I'm from Cashel originally, Morris, and uh, when I grew up in the town, and for many, many decades, Cashel could not benefit as a town from the wonderful rock of Cashel that's like a clenched fist over the town. Could not benefit from that at all. And it's only beginning to do so in recent times. Mm. So, 
to plan that and make sure the town can benefit from increased <coughs> numbers of tourists, a lot of work has to go into that. And I would, I would put it to you, a lot of de- development has to happen within the town. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, you're hitting a point we made. We, we, when we looked at the town, we want to preserve the integrity of the town centre. If you look at a shopping centre, the shopping centre is normally designed where you have an anchor tenant at one end, an anchor tenant at the other end, and you have all the, the, the shops in between. Yes. OK, we have a, a fairly large supermarket on the western end of the town. We have the castle on the eastern end of the town. We're bringing... So we want to bring people into the town to look at the castle and then get them down into the heritage centre, which we'll be reopening later um, in, in the spring, early summer, into the town, because once we have them in the town, we have them captive. Also, we are bringing, and we are talking to County Council on this, the, the blue way from the western side into the town itself. So you're dead right. We have to get people in. I take the point about Cashel. You can go to the Rock of Cashel. You can drive up, look at it, and head off. You don't go near the town mm. at all. Mm. Um, so it is something we're alive to and we're, we're, we're aware of. And make no mistake about this, this is a long-term plan. Of course, but if you have vacant premises and vacant shops all on your, your prized main street, Morris, that's the point I'm making. How, how do you get around that in some way? The way you get around that is by, by greater footfall. And again, it's a slow burn. There's yeah. no snap your fingers and it's done. But if you go down, if you walk down the main street in Carrick and Shore, you will see that there are two or three new coffee shops, for example. And that's a direct result um, of uh, the Blue Way. We have more footfall in the town. And it will, it will develop from there, from little, you know, acorns and mighty oaks to right. grow. And, I, and because that's seasonal, do you have any concerns about that, for example? No, we don't have any concerns about anything. We play to the positive. Right. You know, I, we, have this, we have this saying down here uh, in Costec that if you, if you come up against a wall, Fran, and you bang your head against the wall long enough, it's the wall that falls. That's a very powerful statement indeed. Morris, it's always good to talk to you. We really you appreciate too. your time. Thank you so, so much, Garilla Mahgut. That's uh, accountant uh, Morris Power speaking to us there of COSBA and various other associations in the town of Carrick as well. We'll take a break. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Audi Water. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Um, one listener says, I frequent Carrick a few times a week. The town has a customer service problem. Uh, lots of cafes, etc., but they have the old school greeting of, well, boy, what'll I get you? I, well, you see, I like that kind of thing, you know. I, I go to the Sunnyside Cafe. It's not the name of it there in the main street. Quite a lot. I meet my friend Gabe Razzle down there and we always find it a wonderful place to go and the staff there are fantastic and I love the hotel there as well so I mean there's lots going for for the you know I like that kind of folksy homely way of addressing you and that thing but maybe that's just me. The HSE has said it will begin a review of all open child and adolescent mental health system cases this week focusing directly on children and adolescents who have not been monitored for six months or more. It follows that report of course by the Mental Health Commission which has highlighted significant deficits as they describe it in the child and adolescent mental health 
justice system. Katie Richard is a psychotherapist who deals mainly with uh, teenagers and Katie joins me now. Good morning, Katie. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Thank you for coming on with me this morning. Thank you rea- for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Your reaction to the r- report, Katie? I suppose as a psychotherapist, as you said, specialising um, with adolescents, this is just becoming more and more prevalent in private practice. Uh, so many young people and their parents are so frustrated, distressed, trying to cope with deteriorating mental health difficulties while waiting such lengthy periods of time just for an initial consultation, never mind um, an assessment. And I suppose through reading the report, uh, myself, just such shocking statistics that have kind of come about from it. Um, And just to highlight a few of those things, um, just such a lack of clinical governance Mm. around these services for young people. Um, Like in in some cases, uh, people waiting up to two years for an appointment. Um, like it's scary, shocking, shocking and, stuff. And, and the kind of young people that are waiting for that could be what? Yeah. They could have some severe mental health issues, I guess. They could could have uh, several different conditions, I suppose. Absolutely. Like, you know, you could have, I suppose, on a more serious scale, um, presenting with suicidal ideation, mm. self-harm. Like, you will be thinking that, that people who have the courage to reach out and actually talk about these things, whether it's with their parents, a GP, a psychotherapist, that we would have a place that we could send them and feel good about doing so. And at um, the moment you feel that's not there, I guess, it's Katie. Not there. It's not fit for purpose. Absolutely, it, it's not fit for purpose. And there's many reasons, I suppose, that are contributing to that. Um, like, for, in terms of waiting list statistics, mm. in September... 2018, there were 2,500 people waiting for an appointment, uh, and last year it reported that that was over 4,000. Wow. And not only that, but there's a whole kind of lost to follow up um, element of that, which is seriously concerning. Um, So, children who who should have had a review for a follow up appointment. Um, not having or being offered an appointment for two years. Are these the lost children that they're referring to, Katie? Yes. Yeah, so in one particular team, there were 140 lost cases reported. So that is 140 young people who have just been lost. And this is only a sample amount of cases... Uh, you know, so I presume there's there's much more oh, out there. Yeah. yeah, you could probably multiply that by ten. Wow. Yeah, and also I suppose recommended staffing is below fifty percent, um, and in one particular kind of case, wasn't worked full time, which kind of has implications of continuity of care, and resulting in seriously ill children. One child having waited four days in the emergency department just to be assessed by a a consultant psychiatrist. And the emergency department is not a place to have a child with mental health issues. If anything, could set them back even more. Do you have concerns about the management then? Because I I couldn't get over yesterday. I heard that Mm -hmm. in some cases, now not all, the the management are not qualified in mental health issues. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a really good point to raise also kind of 
connected with the idea of kind of antipsychotic medication, which absolutely has its place, but not being monitored appropriately by some teams. Um, in some cases, children taking medication without relevant blood tests and then also linking into the loss to follow-up. So no kind of review of medication or appointments kind of associated with that at all. And taking this kind of, I guess you're referring to antipsychotic medication and the like, taking that on a long-term basis without um, surveillance, without people Mm -hmm. looking after you, the result of that is, is what, Katie? I suppose it's just the lack of care around it all. Do you know what I mean? If you were taking any type of medication, your GP would call you in possibly yeah. every six to eight months yeah. for a review of it. And these are children. You know, they're under the age of 18 and they're taking medications for prolonged periods of time, not probably even knowing what the medication is itself. As a professional yourself, what needs to happen? Does this need to be stripped mm-hmm. down and rebuilt again? Is that, is that Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it needs to be completely stripped down and looked at. And I suppose, in my opinion, you know, we need to work collaboratively to offer these children the services that they deserve in Ireland. Something that I don't think has been discussed all that much, and again, from your experience, I'd love your opinion on this. It appears to me that more and more of our young people need this kind of help, Katie. And I'm wondering, what is going wrong out there that we have such an emergence of mental health issues in our children, for God's sake? What's happening out there? I mean, I think we have to take into consideration that COVID has had quite a detrimental impact on these young people as well. Um, Like taken out of school for two years, not being able to socialise for two years, and being dependent on their their phone or laptop or technology as a means of entertainment. Um, Like really kind of taking all of these things into consideration. Family life becoming difficult during that time. Mm. Um, Like it was difficult for us as adults. Um, And what about our young people? So the isolation, the lack of social yeah. interaction, all of that sort of plays into somebody who has maybe a, a, a problem anyway or a, 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 low, a lower grade problem possibly. Yeah. And enhances it, do you know, amplifies it and makes it worse, I suppose. And it's just about really upping our game now. Do you know, our young people deserve better than this. The the other thing that strikes me, Katie, is that there should be some sort of a relationship between the schools and mental health and all of that. Um, Would you go along with that? Oh, 100%. You know, I I think something seriously needs to be implemented at a practical level in our education system uh, to help young people understand these mental health issues and, you know, help them learn ways to cope with them, to manage them, and, you know, educate them, psychoeducate them around these particular things. Staffing CAMS, for example, seems to be a huge issue because I've no doubt that there's some very, very good, committed people with empathy, wonderful people within CAMS as well as all of the difficulties Mm. and stuff. But I guess, I mean, and again, as a psychotherapist, would that be a very unattractive place to work with the chaos that's there? Absolutely. Um, I think that's across our healthcare system as a whole at the moment. 
you know, um, we're just kind of honing in on CAMS now, specifically considering the, the recent report that was published yesterday. But how can we work at a capacity below 50% of the recommended staffing? How can we? We can is there a gold standard? Is there a country we could look to and see who does this properly? Uh, potentially. I, I mean, I don't think it's as, as bad across in the UK. Mm. Um, and often there are a lot more free services um, available to people in the UK. I suppose private practice, whether it's in form of psychotherapy here in Ireland, occupational therapy, like you're looking at a fee of 70 euros up and that can go anywhere up to 150 euros this is per visit per visit per visit yes. absolutely mm. and traveling potentially two hours um to get to a specific place because there's a lack of services in this country as well it's it's pretty damning we have to keep in mind this is an interim report the amount yeah. of cases that we're hearing about is only a sample amount i think it's 10 uh, yeah. and as you say it's probably how how much worse is this? What else are we going to hear, do you think, Katie? I suppose it, it's concerning, and you're right to point out that this is just kind of a, a sample um, report, I suppose, just mm. from my own personal experience. I don't think I've ever had a young person or a parent present back to me after an appointment with Cam saying it was helpful or a positive experience. Wow. You you have never had somebody no. come back to you? Never. And have you had them come back and say it was a negative experience? Yes. Yes. And have you come across situations where there's been prescriptions to these childs that was yes. inappropriate? Absolutely. You know, and very little empathy and very clinical experience. And if anything, a young person needs the opposite. They need empathy they need open ears, they need support. Like some of these assessments were carried out over a video call. Um, it kind of states in this report, how can you gauge a, a young person's mental state through a video call? And as far as you're concerned, you can't. You can't. Because we heard, was it in Kerry, they were had a call to Doha or somewhere like yeah. that? So that can't be done as far as you're no, concerned. No, it just cannot be done. What you're saying to me there, Katie, is absolutely huge. I mean, that. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and I suppose it's very disheartening and, and distressing to have these parents come into our private practice and really feel like we have nowhere to send them. And tell me about the parents, then, because I guess their mental health must be compromised yeah. because of all of this as well. Oh, I have parents who have had to take career breaks time off work and um, where this has led to really financial strain as I said just having to go the private route to support their, their children through this you know like it's just really 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 concerning Katie, just finally, could I get you to advise parents who might be tuned our way today and might have yeah. issues with a child or children God knows, yeah. what, what do you say to them? I suppose all I can say is reach out um, like you know our service I have a, pr- a private practice in, in Leash Monumental Health 
www.katierichardson.ie. Even if you just need some advice, support or guidance, we will do our best to help you. Um, Don't give up. Keep fighting. And our children deserve better. Katie, uh, we really thank you for your time today. Most enlightening, uh, Katie. Thank you so much for your thank time. You very thank much. you, and good morning Take to care. you. Bye bye. Thank you very much. Bye bye. That's a psychotherapist to Katie Richardson of the Monumental Therapy Centre in Leash speaking to us uh, this morning with the most damning of critique of uh, CAMS there. I'm sure you'll agree. Um, news and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Uh, welcome back. B was on to say, Fran, I worked in tourism for the state of Pennsylvania in the States for many years. Uh, the one thing I learned from my career was that the smaller towns like Carrick and Shore need to network together. And that means from an accommodation uh, point of view, packaging together all that Carrick has to offer where everybody can get a turn with restaurants, nightlife and attractions and then sell it to tour operators. Carrick is the home of the Clancy Brothers, famous all over the world. And I know they hold a festival, but there should be a museum, for instance, where the Clancy's are concerned. And also, not so long ago, coins were found in Carrick, that's true. And these coins should be on display in the museum. And again, they have a great connection with Newfoundland. And they need to sell that too, says B, with some advice for the people of Carrick and Shore. Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors with me in studio. We're depending on you today, John, for good news because we haven't had very much of it this morning. <laughs> so. Sure, it's happy new year too. Will that do? <laughs> that, that'll, that'll do. Speaking of the new year, you're going to talk to us about resolutions, yeah, but maybe I, not in terms of the usual thing of giving yeah, up sweets or yeah, drink. Giving up sweets or going out walking and. Yeah. Running and jogging and cycling, all those good things. All you the good do. stuff, yeah. No, these are legal, legal resolutions. Funnily enough, probably as important as jogging and and eating well and things like that. Mm. Um, but it's I pull out the list that I used from last year, and I I often kind of mirror probably too much the resolutions with what I think I should be doing myself. Mm. And I mean, the very first one, and I have to I have to obviously mention the old wills reliable, but, you know, the, the, the usual one is every year I say you should make a will. And I suppose what I should be saying this year is every year you should review your will because I've been saying it for so long, I presume everybody who knows me has made a will. Yeah. But it's funny because uh, the whole area of wills really, uh, what I'm, I, and again, it's, it's probably an age thing with me, but now I'm into the next phase, which is succession planning and the whole area of wills. When you look at wills, wills is really just a small part of a very large set of tools that you should be using in order to plan for what is the inevitable uh, moving everything to the next generation including yourself if there is a uh, moving on but the um, 
the one of the things that has been around for years that we've talked about is the add-ons that they're they're trying to implement, which are the assisted decision-making agreements. And I mean, my dad was ninety-four, nearly ninety-five when he passed, and my mum is ninety-two, and a lot of us out there are have you know people who are reaching that age mm. and a little bit more, so it becomes an awful lot more relevant helping people not only to make a will so that they can plan for what happens when they're not here, but what happens when you you lose capacity, when you're no longer able to make decisions for yourself. You know, those that kind of planning is almost as important, if not as important, as making a will. And the they haven't yet implemented, would you believe it, even though we've been talking about it since 2005, I think, they haven't yet implemented the Assisted Decision Making Act. They, it was supposed to come in at the end of July, it was supposed to come in in September, then it was coming in November, and now we're talking about the end of March. Right, but now. it's all ready to go. It's, it just has been signed off on, is yeah, that it? No, the bill has been signed off on. Yeah, they the, just haven't the machinery to make to implement it. Right. They haven't, like, they need to set up a whole new agency, you see, which was going to supervise it. And they needed to have a whole load of... And they are necessary. They needed to educate a whole load of people on how to implement it properly. Yes. But we're almost there, and please God, it will be done by at least the middle of this year. Now, that means that when somebody comes in to me... Whereas, you know, years ago, somebody come in and they'd make a will with you. And, mm. you know, the old one that I have, people come in and they ask before they come in, how much is it going to cost? Mm. But now there's so much now involved in it, which maybe actually this year, I'm 40 years in practice this year. 40 years ago, I would have thought, well, I will, and that would be the end of it. And I wouldn't have thought too much about a will. As in, I wouldn't have thought about all the various ramifications. But 40 years on, you realise the messes that can be created if people don't make wills properly. But now I'm, because I'm at that stage now where you're revisiting, revisiting things like the implications of making will, the tax implications, the family implications and all that. So now you're in a much, it's a much bigger and more uh, serious kind of undertaking on, in my view now because you're now looking at what happens you know if I live to I'm 90 mm. and if I need an assisted decisions if oh, and how do I put those into place what happens if I lose capacity uh, and I need an attorney or somebody to look after me and I don't mean an attorney in the sense of a lawyer but I mean somebody who's authorised to mm. look after me so now you're now people are you're talking about you're making the will which is the final stage. But at, prior to that, then you could be doing a jury power of attorney and you could be doing an assisted decision-making agreement. And th that set is all in the backdrop of the implications in a will, for example, to the next generation. And then you might be looking at the whole tax planning thing. Mm. And, I mean, tax is such a, a factor when you're looking at it. I was only looking at a will that somebody came in to me with there the other day and they had they had made a will and the will had left the house to uh, a nephew and had left a load uh, a number of what we call pecuniary legacies which are money mm. to charity. But of course when the wills were made, what hadn't what hadn't been considered was that if you're giving um, a house to a nephew, mm. capital acquisition tax, which is the gift tax and inheritance tax, is payable. 
and if it's payable, there are three different thresholds. So what they do is if, if you give a gift to your son, for example, it has what they call a class A threshold. A sounds, as you say, get an A, pull, you get A and you're leaving cert, you're doing well. But a class A threshold is the highest threshold. B, obviously, is the next one and C is the next one. But C is a stranger and C this and B is the middle one. Mm. So in this case, the middle threshold apply, which was 37,000 some odd, was the threshold. So you can imagine that the fellow who made the will uh, or lady who made the will gave the house to the to the to a nephew, mm-hmm. which automatically meant that they were going to have capital acquisitions tax, and then for the it, value over thirty exactly thirty seven whatever it is. Now that that could be a considerable exactly, but but that's the kind of thought that you now you need to put in to making a will because leaving then the cash to charity, which is obviously a very good thing to do. Yes, but you've then also you haven't made any planning or you haven't made it, given any consideration to the fact that you're handing over a gift with a lot of tax to be paid so it may not have the end result that you wanted so there there that's what we call that's, succession that's, that's planning. very interesting but yeah. is, is a, i mean if somebody goes into you to make a will john and i mean this is with the greatest respect but are, are you are, i mean have you all of the information there where taxation is concerned because that's a minefield oh, absolutely I mean, do, do you, so do you Sam, advise you on that? Me better than that of course <laughs> <laughs> but do do you have that advice at the ready? Uh, for yes. People? Yes. Well, I mean, yes. I have a broad knowledge. I mean, I've I've I have a broad knowledge of tax. Mm. Um, but if I had a particular um, issue that I wanted to try and resolve, I would check with the person's accountant, and you'd work with their accountant. But yeah, I have a broad knowledge of mm. capital acquisition tax, capital gains tax. But it is, but it is a hugely, but. The, the thing about it is that there are so many issues mm. uh, and that's why it is can be quite a complicated, probably isn't the right word, but complex type of thing to consider because, OK, you're considering tax, but you're also considering family mm. and you're also think, considering the person themselves and what they might want to, to achieve. So... It's it's an area, you know, when you talk about news resolutions, it's it's the area that I have been involved in very much so in the last number of years because it's an area that's close to my own heart mm. insofar as you learn from your own experience, insofar yes. as, you know, I have children, I'm a part of what is euphemistically called a blended family because I have married twice, so I have children from the from the first marriage. So therefore, in that scenario... Not only do you have the complications of having to deal with the tax implications of what you might do, but you also have the implications of dealing with the blended family of scenario. Course, yes. So these are all the... And, of course, the absolute very starting point in terms of looking at uh, succession planning. Uh, and, as I said to you, succession planning can be what you might do during your lifetime as much as what you might do after you're gone. And a lot of people think of it as, OK, I make a will and that'll sort it. But actually, it might it mightn't sort it at all or mm. it mightn't sort it in a way that you might want it sorted. So you also have to look at the scenario. Is there something that I should be doing now? So, for example, something that, that, that I've been involved in over the last number of years is that you set up a situation whereby <clears throat> if there are assets involved or business involved that you get the children involved in the business and you have a partnership type scenario and that you're in a position to move an asset during your lifetime 
which means that you can plan the move much better. Now, obviously, you're going to have stamp duty implications, you're mm. going to have capital gains mm. tax implications, you might have gift implications for the children, but you take all those and you put all those into the mix and you look at it and you see what's the best thing that you, you could do. And then, to complicate it even more, and uh, in my own situation, I'm saying to myself, well, OK, I won't tell you what age I am, but I'm 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 on the bus pass, <laughs> but I'm I'm so I'm heading towards a situation where I have to look to how am I going to sustain personally myself and my wife going forward. So you're looking at all because your starting point obviously is you're not going to pass. You sh- you you're not looking at making a will leaving let the will be the ultimate to pass mm. everything to the next mm. generation and then ignore the tax implications of that neither are you going to transfer everything now and then leave yourself with nothing yeah. because obviously then you really are in running into all sorts of issues and funny like it brings in mind a, a question that a, that a client raised with me the other day or rather that I raised talking to them because again in your um, scenario, your facts. There are so many different fact scenarios now, but in this particular fact scenario, you had a situation where two people cohabitating um, and um, both of them separated and children involved and one of the parties wanted to make sure that the other party, that if something happened to them that they could continue to reside in the house and the question then the client said, well, how do I do that John? How can I because, you know, if I'm in a situation that if I go first and I don't want any aggro and whatever. Mm. So you're into all these type of situations. And then, and that prompted the question in my mind, from a legal point of view, that there's two types of ways of dealing with that. One is that you give a right of residence to the party that you want to look after mm. and then you, you're in a situation where you, you, you look at giving a life interest and then I said to myself okay, life interest, right of residence what's the difference between the two of them? You know, what's the legal implication of the two of them? So I went looking at that, I had a kind of a gut instinct because I remember a case that I was involved in way back at the start years and years ago, as in years and years ago anyway, it was 30 years ago I'd say, when I was a young fella involved in the legal business and we're researching life interests and at that stage life interests you could actually sell the property and put the capital into a fund or you could transfer and and substitute the property with another property as a life tenant you can't do that if you have a right of residence and then that begs the question that if you have a life right of residence and things get difficult what can you do? And there was a recent, uh, relatively recent uh, judgment of the High Court, if not Supreme Court, that dealt with that issue as to what happens if you have a right to residence and you have somebody with a right to residence and you, want, you own the house but you want to sell it. Can you get them out of it? Can you sell it without their agreement? And that raised the question then is that if you do sell it, how did the court deal with the right residence and valuing the right residence? And there was only two judgments of the courts in the last one. Uh, one was by Judge Lavin Jay, who always reminds me of Lavin Jay. Now I can talk. He's he's passed away since, but he was an amazing character because you never knew what you'd get when you went into court, right. depending on his humour. <laughs> but uh, <coughs> yeah. to say, but anyway. yeah. um, 
but um, but the interesting thing then is the difference between the two. But those are the type of scenarios that you're looking at. So and why 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 just the right of residence? Can they not transfer ownership in the event of somebody? No, but you don't want to transfer ownership. You want the house to go ultimately go to your children. So oh, you, sorry. You just want okay. to protect. I'm with you. The, the partner. This, this, or whatever. Yeah, this yes. individual wanted to protect the partner. Right. So in in protecting the partner, the question was, how do I protect them? They don't want the house, or rather they are quite happy for the house to pass mm. to the children. And, and, you know, these are the issues that... Of course, that, yeah. That, ...that you have to of come course. up with. But yeah, I mean, and, and the, the, the couple who were living together... Uh, had they they had been married previously, obviously. Both had they been people, had they been uh, divorced? One had, one wasn't. Okay, it does that further complicate? That it? does further complicate. Okay. It, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, it does. Uh, but it, like, you know, the whole. I mean, the the whole area of planning is, and you know, and again, when you're looking at a situation, you can't look at it in isolation. You know, if somebody comes into you and says, "I want to make a will," and invariably, uh, you know. At at this point in my my career, I suppose, uh, uh, on on the basis that I'm saying I'm never going to retire. But anyway, if you're you're looking, you know, people will often come into you because they know you very well and you've known them for years and years and years, and they'd put the scenario to you on the basis of saying, "How do I deal with this? How what is the best way to do it?" And there's a very thin line between telling somebody what they should do and what they shouldn't do mm-hmm. and advising them as to what the implications are on taking different courses of action. And, I mean, as we say, we start with the whole issue of what's your New Year's resolution? And your New Year's resolution is to tidy these things up and not mm-hmm. not have a scenario. Because if you can imagine the scenario that can arise if you don't do something Tidy, about you know, planning yeah. this. Something I came across lately, I just overheard a conversation at home uh, uh, about, I didn't realise that inheritance is cumulative in that if you had an inheritance a few years ago, that's taken into account from a taxation point of view with a current one. Is that is that true? Correct, correct. That's. I didn't realise that at that's, all. That's called aggregation, the lovely little word, aggregation. aggregation. So the aggregate, yes, correct. But don't forget that you've got your annual exemption. Um, you can make a gift per annum mm. every year. You can make a gift to an individual of three grand a year. So a lot of, uh, I mean, there's a couple of little things that you would always do from a tax point of view that I would always advise people that, you know, if you have cash, uh, if if you're lucky enough to have a couple of bob or you have a couple of bob in excess mm. of your requirements, um one fellow said to me 30 years ago, I remember listening to a dev and he said, if you can keep 10% of your earnings, and I was just thinking at the time, I was a very young man thinking, I haven't even got enough earnings, never mind. I, I, I wish. Keep 10% of them, you know. But yeah. if you get to the point where, you know, you're at a stage in your life where you have access to cash, I mean, it's a very, very straightforward, tax-efficient thing to do is to give your children or anybody, grandchildren or whatever, mm. or somebody that you might like to benefit, give them, because as a couple you can give them six, with three each so that's six grand a year, which is a very, very handy just, yes. yeah, And there's a, no obligation from no, anybody's no, point of view no, on it's that. exempt right. you're entitled to do it and, and again, you see tax planning 
is understanding what the tax implications are and then working with it as mm. opposed to evasion, which is avoiding it. You know, I mean, I mean, and it's often a very difficult thing when you're dealing with the states is that you have to ask that question. What what are all the prior gifts? And of course, revenue being revenue. And I, sorry, I should rephrase that tax being tax. There are different rules at different stages. So aggregation at one stage was you aggregated across all classes, A, B and C, mm. and then it went to aggregate against one class. So you only took one class into account. Now, it's at, as it currently stands, it's across all of them. But there are... There are consider- and, and when you talk about that, you're talking about relationship or not relationship. Yeah, yeah A, B it? and yeah. C, yeah. Yeah. which yeah. are okay. the two. But, I mean... Like there are a number, of, like the big thing about uh, when you're looking at this um, is that if you if you understand what the implications are, you have some chance of planning it because you see you can get various reliefs like agricultural relief, you can get business relief, you can get these reliefs, but they all have little rules attached to them. So you have to you can get business relief for CAT, which reduces the percentage. It takes ninety percent reduction on it if you qualify for it. But in terms of qualifying for it, when you're doing succession planning, you say to yourself, well, right, if I own the asset for this period of time, I will qualify. So obviously you don't, you, you, you plan accordingly. And that's the whole idea about, you know, when people talk very, about very tax planning, Just, just no? briefly, if you would, John, again, another conversation. We first resolution. This happened last year. We were doing <laughs> resolutions in March. Think, we were still, we, uh, uh, something else that I heard is that it might be better, to, if you have cash, to, to spend it on property and leave the property as opposed to leaving the cash. Is that worth thinking about? Cash is always... Property, the problem with property and leaving property is you've got capital gains tax to consider, but you've also got, there's two taxes. Yes. There's the giver and the receiver. Mm. The giver is capital gains tax. The receiver is capital acquisitions tax or inheritance tax or gift mm. tax, whatever you call it. But on the transferring of an asset, on debt is okay because it's an assent. There's no stamp duty. But if you want to transfer the asset during your lifetime, you've got stamp you should consider yes so the again and this is a, a kind of an age-old mantra by lawyers and i'm sure by tax uh, people as well each fact scenario has to be thrown out there like you literally put it out in the spreadsheet see what the numbers are see what the exemptions are and what's the timing like when is the best time to do it mm. because you see <coughs> at the end of the day if you retain enough assets for your own personal use during your lifetime, they will then have to pass on your death and then you need to look at the implications of that. If you transfer assets during your lifetime, you need to look at the implications from the point of view capital gains tax, capital acquisitions tax. And, I mean, the whole the whole area of succession planning as mm. well is that if you have a situation, for example, that you do leave a will and it does have tax implications, that's not necessarily the end of it because you could literally have a situation where you could do a family arrangement which would alter the implications of the will in, from a tax point of view. You know, because people often think that when you make a will that that's it, mm. that mm. it's literally cast in stone. 
it's a bit like people thinking that, you know, when you separate, that you have to go to court to mm. get a divorce. Mm. You have to go to court to get a divorce order, but you can still negotiate the terms. Right. Yeah. Likewise, with a will, you can sit down as a family and go, well, no, if we do it this way, it might be better. And that's the type of... Right, but to both. be informed, I guess, John, to be is, informed. Is, is the main Absolutely thing, isn't it? Right. All right, we'll continue with our resolutions resolution. for the next one. We'll be doing them until 2029. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and of course, if anybody wants uh, expert legal advice, John and his team, always available. Look after yourself. You can't say expert. You have to say just legal. Just legal. My colleagues oh, will be given out. You can't say expert, can you? Well, you're not supposed to hold yourself out as an expert. I remember the law. The law. Are you serious? Yeah, the law society did that to me. I did an ad, not an ad. I did something on the website, and I had this is our area of expertise. And a colleague objected and said that implies the rest of us aren't experts, <laughs> or that you are, we're not. Or that my learned friend is more my learned. learned. Friend. Yes, I'm, I'm more learned than you are. <laughs> Thanks, John. We'll take a break. Back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Various questions in for my learned friend John Lynch. We'll stick them together and we will email them to John and next time around he will address them. We promise. Is that okay? Now, Father Michael Toomey, you frequent uh, contributor to our Program, of course, parish priest administrator in the parishes of Artfin and Newcastle and Four Mile Water. He joins me in studio. Good morning to you, Father. Good morning, Michael. Frank. Good to see you. And good to see Back you. Back in the too. studio after all this time. Absolutely. Nothing's changed. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen you since. since we COVID. haven't seen yeah. each other. Yeah, it's just that we've been on the phone, but yeah. uh, it's amazing. We're getting back to a normality, thank God. Isn't now, it just? Which is well, great. I'm, I'm delighted to see you looking yeah. well and all of that. I was really taken with your homily and your reflection on uh, vocation and um, your current role as a priest as well. Why did you decide to, to publish this? I know, obviously, in the homily you presented it to people, but you decided to put it up there that people could have well, it. Well, it was my homily last weekend, which was about the gospel of Jesus calling basically ordinary people to follow him. And it was after Mass, a number of people contacted me, and, you know, they were, normally you wouldn't get people commenting on your homily unless it was too long, but they were really kind of very supportive, and a few people texted me, and one or two rang me, and said, look, that needs to be said, because I don't think enough has been said about the positivity of priesthood much, particularly when it comes to vocations and everything. And it was really, for me, a personal reflection of my priesthood. And, as you know, Fran, I've been here very vocal about things in the church and society and everything mm. but when I go back to the very basics I just asked myself uh, the question uh, on Saturday morning when I was writing this you know what am I I'm a priest and who am I I'm just a normal person and what do I do what's the most important thing I do every day and it is celebrate mass everything else is second place and I put it it was really I think written to myself mm. But I looked at it and I thought, no, I need to let people know this because it's important for people, particularly younger people, to see what a priest is. And to acknowledge, as I have done in this, you know, there's been huge failings in the past, but the majority of priests are there 24 7, seven days a week serving God and serving one another. And I think, it, I, think I just wanted to kind of share the, mm. the joy of priesthood 
even though there's a lot of problems in priesthoods. Tell me about, because as you say, at the core of your vocation happens to be the celebration of, of Mass. Tell me why that is so so special. I'll give you something now, an example. Today I had a schools Mass, it's Catholic Schools Week, and I'm having a, a Mass in my four local schools, so today was in Grange. And I went out and I, I began Mass and welcomed them all and I said, hello, sixth class, and they, of course, hello. And by the time you get senior, everyone's screaming there. And I just thought, this is brilliant. This is people coming together their grandparents were there seeing them uh the parents were there and we gathered around a table and we shared the eucharist and we shared the word of god and we sang hymns and it was just a lovely fantastic atmosphere it doesn't happen at every mass of yes. course because normally weekday masses is only a few people at it but there are days like that which really give me a lift insofar as this is making an impact on people that people might actually say what did you do today in school we went to mass and we sang hymns you know what I mean? And there was a joy. And there was a real joy in there. And I actually had to leave them because I said, oh, sorry, I have to go. Fran Curry's looking for me. <laughs> so I just left them there. I abandoned them in the church and someone's going to lock up. But it was just joyful to do that. But there's a joy in every time you celebrate Mass for me because, as I said in, in the homily, in the notes, I'm so unworthy. You know, and as I say to people who'd like to like help in the church or, anything, or even give out communion or readers, oh, I'm not worthy enough. When I say I'm the most unworthy person, I think that reflected back on the gospel, the calling of, of the, the first disciples. They were plain, they were fishermen. You know, I've come with my own baggage and everything. Every priest has. And I think we have to remind ourselves that God calls probably the most unlikely of people to do his work. And not just in priesthood now, Fran, it could be in any kind of, of mi mi uh, ministry and it could be in any kind of community work. That's my belief. That's the belief of the, the, the faith of church. But to actually celebrate Mass and um, to actually hear confessions, which is obviously sacrosanct. Uh, George Basil Hume, he was the Cardinal Hume in, in Westminster. Mm. I, I served him a number of times. He wrote a fantastic book, The Light and the Lord, about reflect, uh, priesthood. And he actually said the power of telling someone, I forgive you in, on behalf of God and to bless them, you know, he said, how unworthy I am and how unworthy he always felt he was doing that. So you feel privileged to do that? It's not even privileged. It's just feel that it's not even a privilege. It's, how do I explain it? It's a calling that God has called me to this. As I often say to my sixth-class students, because I work with them a lot with confirmation, I think God was having an, an odd day when he called me to be a priest, you know, because of all the priests that I know of holy and, and things. You know, there are much more holy people, much more educated people, much more influential people, and I'm not even trying to be them. I'm just trying to be me all the time. And God, for whatever reason, has called me to be a priest today in this world where I am in my parishes. And it's very much putting my faith in God with all the challenges and all the problems that are there. And wh why do you think the priests, I mean, is there almost, and I'm very careful about using this word, Michael, is, is there almost a shame there at the moment that people, priests won't speak out about the joy or about the experience or about the calling now? I don't think it's even a shame, but I think there's a lot of noise in the church and outside the church, and there's a lot of priests very unhappy with the church, you know, and I wouldn't be happy with the church at the best of times either, and I've, I've been quite vocal about that. And I think there's kind of a, a genuine as one priest said to me I can't leave because what else could I do what else am I trained for and this guy is in his 60s so you can understand that but he still 
gets up, he still gets up in the middle of the night to go and sit calls, he goes to celebrate Mass and that. And I think it's a case, um, like we do retreats every year and we, we talk about priesthood and that, but I think for me it was just personally to me to actually look back on my priesthood in the last 13 years and there have been a lot of challenges, but there's been more joys than challenges. And I just kind of put down, you know, it's a very busy life, but as I said in, in, in the homily, who isn't busy these days? Mm. I mean, there just seems to be a general busyness around the place as well. And can I ask you about your vocation? I mean, <laughs> what, was it a St. Paul experience? Was there, there sort of lightning? And, oh, and, no, there was no. a lot of putting off. Like, um, as you know, friend, I grew up in England, and the first time I went uh, to, I actually met Basil Hume at one of the open days as they had. I was 16, 17, and we went around, and I literally ran away, and I thought, all these other holy people there, and they were talking really about things I hadn't even heard of and ecumenical matters. That's not a Father Ted quote, by the way. But all the other, you know, the Vatican Council, I thought, I haven't a clue about any of this. And I thought, no, I can't do it. So what happened then was, uh, when I first came to Ireland, um, I went to the diocese after a couple of months to see. And again, I put it off. I got a new job and I kind of was going out with a girl at the time. And I thought, no, I'll put it off. And um, it was when I kind of left one of the other jobs I met a priest who you might remember, Fran, and he would have been 50 the other day, Father Colm O'Brien. Of course, yes. An absolute mm. saint of a priest. Mm. And Colm, we went to lunch uh, into a local bar um, here in Clomel, and he just said to me, well, are you going to do it or what? And that was kind of it. And I said to him, look, my problem, Colm, is I was never good at school. You know, I wasn't, you know, I was good in school, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't academic or anything like that. I did my A-levels, which is like the leaving cert. I did the best I could, but I couldn't wait to leave school and just kind of straight into management and into a job. And that was my biggest fear. And he said, look, give it a year. And that was six years later, then I was still there. And actually what I found then was when I was in Maynooth, it took six years. I actually, in the final year, not only was I finishing my degree, I was doing a diploma in literature and music, something I liked, first class honours in all of them. And I thought, I've never done, you know, because now I was doing something I actually liked. That's your love. That, yes, that, course, that was yeah. it. And I was old and I was able to kind of reflect on it and everything. Um, so really I have to say it was Colm who kind of, pushed me in the end but there's been a lot of people have influenced my my priesthood family and friends my parents in particular like dad never went to mass but he'd always give out to me if i wasn't at mass you know that type mam was always at mass and, and there and like thankfully they both knew before he passed away that that was my final intention um to to become a priest and even in Maynooth i kind of gave it the, the the year as it was and even the six years and even thinking i'm still not worthy enough and even the day of my ordination you still question am i doing the right thing and there was an old saying i had let go and let god let god decide so and, and do you still of, question oh every day you, have, you? To, you yes. have to question your priesthood every day like and I get these questions, especially from secondary schools. You, know, you can't have family, you can't get married and all of this and everything. It's not that I can't. It's that I have decided that this is my life at the moment. And I'm quite happy with that. Yes. You know, Because I'm on call 24-7, because I could be moved tomorrow, as, it, as has happened, and I could have another parish, I can't then get up my wife and kids and bring them off uh, and you know yeah. move yeah. them. Now, in some traditions, like the Anglican tradition, they, they work it very well and it's very respectful and everything and they have married clergy and it's, that's for them and that's brilliant. But for me, I think I'm very much dedicated to, some people say you're married to the church. In a way, you are. That's the sacrament. You are connected to God that way, to be there for people 24-7. Address that in, in in the homily, and you see the accepted um, 
talk now is that without the, the conservative aspect of the church or without the curia in the Vatican or mm. whatever, mm. you'd all be allowed to marry and everything would yeah, be grand. Yeah. There'd be women priests and all yeah, of that yeah, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But you're saying to me that there is a point to the celibacy and, and that's not being made recently at all. It hasn't you, been made, yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, it, it's just to be there for everybody at any time. Do you know what I mean? Like, the business of the day would, would you, be... Sorry, Michael, would sorry. you choose it? Would you? Would I choose it? Would you choose I would choose it for myself. You would choose yes, I would choose it myself okay. because I couldn't do what I do if I was married with okay. children. And I'm just being... Uh, yeah. that's, that's a logistical thing. But also for me, um, like, as I say, I had a, a girlfriend a number of years ago and uh, the relationships and everything. But for me, celibacy is... It's, it's strange to say it's like a gift but it's also an offering that this is what God has called me to do and he's asked me to do a couple of things and this is one of them to sacrifice a family and children and everything and is that a struggle for you? Is it? Not, now. No, not now no not now okay. obviously in the early years it yeah, was and yeah. I think for and I think you know, you go back to many years ago when priests were much younger and everything, that was a struggle. And I think a lot of them were maybe not so much forced, but pressured into mm. it. And that yes. and that was their problem. And maybe that was their challenge. And later on, they realized, actually, you know, I want a family and that. And many priests left. And sadly, the abuses, which I did mention in the homily as well, you know, the inexcusable excuse of um, the way the church handled us. I'm not saying that is the reason why, but I'm saying that could be a reason why some of these things have happened, that people have left the church and now become families. I'm sure certainly part mm. of it anyway. In in passing there, you mentioned Father Ted, and you also mentioned in the homily about comedy, and yeah. sometimes the church is at the butt end of of that. Um, and, and what I find interesting is often Catholicism, particularly mm. where they mightn't have such a go at other, other yeah. religious institutions. Do you feel strongly about that? I feel strongly insofar as I can take a joke and give a joke, but there are certain things you cannot joke about. Um, like, um, for example, a number of a couple of years ago, it was New Year's Eve. I won't even mention the skit, but we all know what happened. Um, there was a lot of anger over that, mm. and mm. I was very angry over that as well because I thought that in itself it wasn't a joke. It was I found it very sick and offensive to any woman who has had to go through what they were implying. Yes. Yeah. And also, it was an attack on our faith. And I thought, they wouldn't do it to any other religious mm. community mm. because it would be seen as, you know, scandalous and, you know, right, right, and rightly so. But I think in Ireland, there's a kind of, and in other countries, not just Ireland, um, it's okay to take the mickey or the joke at the Catholic Church because, Asha, look, that, that's it, that's where we are and everything. But there are certain things, like I remember a number of years ago as well, um, two comedians were talking about uh, Holy Communion as ghost bread. And I thought, that, that, that's not funny. It, that's, the Eucharist is central to my faith. Now, Father Ted, like as the, the, some of the kids years ago, like kids today don't really know what Father Ted is, but years ago, yeah. you know, I watched Father Ted, I would laugh at it. Some of it you think, oh, a bit too much. But some of it is just tongue-in-cheek. So there's kind of comedy, but there's kind of, what I'd say, kind of attacking through comedy as well and there has to be a fine line with that as well I think. Funny yeah. enough I've always believed that Father Ted did irreparable damage to the perception of clergy. And it did yeah because and I often explain uh, particularly to older uh, lads and girls when I speak to them like Father Jack like the, yeah. the, the drunk Yeah. I often say I was very sad to see that because sadly a number of priests uh, particularly in rural areas, do yes. have a problem with alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some priests who cannot receive the chalice because of their intolerance to alcohol. Um, 
you know, particularly that character more so than anything mm. else. Mm. Um, yes, it, it, pro- it probably did, but on the other side of it, you also have to look at there was a lot of things going on in the church at the time and, you know, there was the, the scandals and everything, and they were kind of not directly attacking the church, but they were making a funny thing of it. But, yeah, I can, I can see the point there, Fran, that you're making, that, mm. you know, it did do irreparable damage, but I think it's a generation gone now because, like, I remember saying to Sixth Class of the Day, Father Ted, and they looked, who? They didn't know. They didn't know, so it's kind of moved on now. So the, the society moves on to different programmes. And everything yeah, even though that, so. it, I, I think it's still very relevant. I'm not sure if you're, you're across that thing with uh, Tommy Tiernan where the, the RTE reporter, she was deeply offended heard by, that by, too, by what yeah, he said yeah, and she yeah. left the thing. But funnily enough, on the build-up to the joke that offended her, he made yeah. reference to penguins being like nuns with rosary beads yeah, and yeah. she thought that was extremely funny and yeah. she was delighted with that. But it was when it came to a, a, a racist thing, yeah. remark that, that offended her particularly, she she walked out. Mm. But that's indicative of what's going on. It is, it? I you think. Know. And they, they kind of say, um, what did they say? People are getting too kind of animated at times with, with jokes and humour. Like, I remember watching something there on uh, uh, on the television over Christmas. Um, was it a carry-on film? And I thought, God, you couldn't show that on a normal mainstream film yeah. today. Yeah. But that was comedy then. Do you know what yeah. I mean? To comedy now. People are more sensitive, perhaps. And as I say, comedy is very important. As, uh, as I say, I'm a great sense of humour. I play practical jokes on people that I meet at the best of times. But it's kind of, where is the line? There is no definitive line. You just have to kind of work the audience, you mm. know. And I, I, I was following a little bit of the Tommy, Tommy Tierney mm. thing. I didn't fill it, fill it mm. all. Um, but it, it just goes to show people can get offended and everything. Mm. I don't directly get offended, but if something is said or done which is directly attacking my faith or implying something against my faith, then I have to say, well, hold on a minute, that's a bit bit much. You spoke about, on the surface at times, you might appear a little bit awkward or a little bit sort of straight down the line in Mm. terms of laying down the law. Mm. Tell me about that. One of my greatest passions is liturgy. Mm. So celebrating the Mass is, is basically liturgy. And there can be times when, for example, at a funeral, um, I was always taught there's no eulogies at a funeral in a Catholic Mass. There's no eulogies. But yet there's always a eulogy at a funeral Mass. And yeah. it's usually at the end. So the way I do it, I kind of recommend people do it at the start. So that's different. But I do that for two reasons. One, because it allows the person who's saying the few words to say it and get it done respectfully. And it sets the, the scene then for the Mass. But two as well, if the person is fragile or gets upset or everything at least then it's done and and then they can relax you know and 99.9% of my funerals we've done it that way and everyone has said you know I'm glad I did it at the start Mm. because I wasn't thinking about it all through the mass and I was able to do it Mm. Um, and there's always this fine line with eulogies and unfortunately some eulogies are perfect some some can go on for 40-45 minutes you know, and that's not fair on anybody who's there as well. Um, and people always comment about it, but I've no, I've no problem people speaking about their loved one mm. or you know, everything that, but it's just the place. But sometimes you get uh, a request like during communion, they want their favourite song or kind of lyric, and you know yourself, because like, I'm very eclectic in music, I have loads of music mm. collection, and I always say, that's not really appropriate during communion, it's not a hymn. Could, we could play it at the end or at the graveside and we kind of move it there. And I, as I say, I don't be awkward. And I haven't had run-ins with people mm. or anything like that. I was you know, just going to say of, that. Has that no, no, it hasn't. I've, I always do it very passionately and very sensitively and everything. Like, And you have to know, like, if you're, if you're burying someone, like, God love, in their 90s or something, you know, they, you don't want a Guns N' Roses song because their great-grandson loves Guns N' Roses. Do you know what I mean? 
Whereas uh, we had a very sad funeral, as you know, uh, little Danny there yeah. um, before Christmas. And we adapted it to his age group because who was there? You know, you've got to um, see who's there and who are the people that you want to try and reach out to and everything. And there was much, like I had a panda beside me on the altar. And I thought that was the biggest funniest thing ever and I thought and I said it from the start, I never thought I'd ever celebrate mass <laughs> with a panda but you know and some priests might think oh that was inappropriate or that you know that shouldn't but I had to do it because on a pastoral level at the end of the day we're pastoral priests what works and that made a huge difference to his family you know and, and to the panda Have you concerns or how does it work for you with the whole woke thing that's going on now where I mean you have to be so careful I mean I find it myself here as you can mm. imagine you mm. know you have to be so careful how you address You're walking somebody, on HLs, you know, 24/7. absolutely all of the time yeah, yeah. I'd imagine you're even in, in a more difficult situation we are, are you? because you, everyone picks up on everything that you say yes. you know what I mean and I think that's why kind of I published the homily because it was huge feedback and positive feedback and everything it was just an open and honest this is how I am today um, I'm in an unusual situation Fran because I'm now parish priest of four parishes technically seven churches yes and the administration I'm looking at, you know, and working just to see can that be resolved because I shouldn't be sitting down in front of a computer put, punching in numbers when I could be out actually doing some pastoral work. So, you know, that's how things in the change in the church have to happen behind the scenes. But I think as well, this is who I am, you know, and, you know, I can't change who I am, but I will do my very best and I will do, always do what's right by people. And sometimes I've had to make some difficult decisions and maybe not popular decisions, but that's any kind of management or any kind of normal day-to-day -day running, you know, uh, th that's done. And I always explain why I'm doing it this way to the best of my ability. Um, there have been a couple of instances which have really upset me, really shook me, and I've had to think, am I doing the right thing and everything? And at the end of the day, when I look at it and say, if I'm doing something right, I have to stand my ground. Oh, I have you, to say, you've had a lot of criticism over certain things. Not so much public criticism, but personal yeah. criticism, or right. people have had complaints about different things and that. And, you know, at, at the time, in, in one instance in particular, I was actually right because I was following the proper COVID guidelines. And the person who was arguing was a professional and was completely wrong and had, you know, we had to go to their union and everything. And it was just something, I won't go into it too much, but I had to stand my ground because I said, if I let this happen, then, you know, do you let this happen? Do you know what yes. I mean? Like, I treat everybody equally you know, as to, as fair as possible and everything. And you have to do that. Like, for example, I do know um, a few years ago, a parish priest in another parish wouldn't allow eulogies at all. Mm. No one got up to speak. But yes. then someone influential in the, in the town died. And of course, there were two eulogies. And the next funeral came in. I remember because I stood there, the people came in to speak to him and said, and I'm getting up to speak and you're not telling me no because you did it last week for so-and-so. And as I say, you have to be fair yes, to everybody yes. do you know what i mean as best as possible it's, it's interesting you know i mean you speak very beautifully about your own vocation and all that but sadly as we know the seminaries are practically yeah. empty there's 21 seminarians yeah. in maynooth at the moment yeah. i mean look at your workload uh, hmm. at the moment yeah. that's not going to change suddenly it's not but I'm hoping, as I say, I'm working with a couple of priests and the bishop about the administration side that we can actually put something in place. Um, because obviously in, now I'm in a rural area like I've, Ardfin and Ballybacon Grange, Newcastle, Four Mile Water, the Nara Tornina. 
And I know it off by heart now. And now, luckily, I have two priests who are helping um, in in either side of the parishes and everything. Um, I'm taking time off because I have to, because yes. burnout is a big thing. But, Fran, it's it's happening in America. Like, burnout with priests in America is huge, especially in rural, what we call rural areas. And you have to mind yourself, because as I said, you know, there's no point in me having burnout, because if I collapse, that's it. I got COVID last uh, March, St. Patrick's Week, and I, I say it in a, in a funny way. I, was, I wasn't sick with that. I just had a bit of a head cold. But one bishop and seven priests covered me that week that I was off. And that just goes to show how busy I am because right. we had evening masses and then we had St. Patrick's Day masses and we had a wedding and we had a baptism. I couldn't do any of it, so I had to ring around. You know, and that is the reality right. of priesthood. So you today. have to, and again you refer to this in, in your homily, you have to mind yourself. have to mind yourself, Fran, because if you don't, you know, you will burn out. And luckily, I have a good group of friends, like I was out to watch the, I was took time off, I went out to watch the Arsenal Man United match the other day with some friends, we had a big laugh, and of course they laughed at me. Commiserations. Man United, that, yeah, yes. thank you very much, Fran, I take that with a pinch of salt. <laughs> and, but that's part of, I have to have that normality in my life as well. Do you know yes. what I mean? I have to be able to have friends, and which I do, and family and close family. Luckily, my mother's still with me, and she's got, we're, we're good together, and thank God we have each other. Um, she's always got my back. And But it's just you have to make sure you, you don't burn out. Like There may be somebody, or maybe even a, a few people listening to us this morning, that might have had that inkling mm. of vocation, and they might be later on in life, or, what, or whatever. Yeah. What would you say to them, Mike? First thing is pray. As I said in the homily, I'm asking, I ask my Christians to do one thing for me. And I certainly, as I said, I'm not looking for money. I'm certainly not looking for that. But just say a prayer. Say a prayer for us. And if anyone is even thinking about priesthood, you know, firstly, pray about it and then chat to a priest or a religious or, you know, not just priests. There's nuns and there's, um, you know, monks and, of course, the friars, the Franciscan friar, which closed down absolutely heartbreaking the other week. Um, Again, because of a lack of vocations and everything. But, you know, as I said at the start, like God called the most unlikable and unworthy people to serve him. And I am one of those, you know, of, of a string of priests. Even Pope Benedict, in fairness to him, never wanted to be a cardinal or a bishop or a pope, but he followed God's calling up to the point where he said, no, I think this is now time to, to step back. Um, but talk to somebody, talk to friends. Don't, you know, let it linger. Like, I was in my early 30s when I actually went into seminary, so I wasn't young. I really wanted to experience life and then see. And I think I brought with me, Fran, life experience because I see life now... Because I know what it's like to to get, um, you know, sign on the dole. Because I've done that. I know what it's like not to have enough money to pay the electric, because that's happened to me. I know what it's like uh, to be in a bad place, uh, mental health issues, because of, you know, unemployment and everything that happened for, for some time. So that's why I think my priesthood now is more empathetic because I've had that life experience that I can now not know what people are going through but experience what people are going through and understand what they're going through because I've gone through it myself and I mention that as bereavements you know I think for me my strongest area is bereavement support and counselling it always has been because of my past bereavements and you know we've in Clonmel there were 20 funerals this month already in January, what day to be? 22nd, 23rd, mm. something like that. Mm. You know, and every one of those people who have died is, um, you know, a, a family. Of course. And, you know, I'm thinking of a family today. Someone died tragically, uh, suddenly last night, left behind a young family. We have to put in a pastoral plan now for them in the schools and the, the plans, you know, and, and, and then there'll be a next one. And that's where it kind of comes down to. Pray about it and think about it. and Don't put it off. But 
you know, God is good. Father Michael, it's always a pleasure and to you, see Fran, you. And, and good, you look after yourself. Good and, wish yeah. to all your listeners and thanks for all you do. Well thanks done, Fran. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Father Michael Toomey, speaking to us there. That's it for me. Emma produced Ellie, looks after her content, and Stephen is on the way. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.